It's time to chat on Kitch Cat Chat with Laura, where there is no theme. Deal with it, bumholios. Okay, I think it's recording. Okay, hey. so this is episode three. I don't have a title yet. Maybe we'll come up with one by the end of this. Sure. And it's the, well, it could just be the Laura's. I feel like that's a great podcast. The Laura's. <laughs> the Laura <Yes>. show. <laughs> If you are listening, this is weird because I'm talking to you, but now I'm also talking to the listeners. But if you are listening, there's another voice here, and I'm Laura, and she's Laura. So we are both Lauras. We are all Laura. Yeah, we are all Laura. Me and we are we, and we are all together. <laughs> Something like that. Yes. So let's see. I'm gonna. Okay, I met Laura through a women's group, right? Gosh, right. that sounds churchy. That does. <gasps> I met Laura at the general meeting of relief. No, I met her. Well, how else would you describe it? It was a women. So here's how I describe it. It was um, a kick-ass group of women who got together for potlucks because I, I don't like women's group. I just and really I'm, don't like it. And a lot I, of cheap wine. I will say like a kick-ass women's group. So that way people don't get it confused with like, you know, something that's not kick-ass. A lame-ass women's group. We were not lame ass women. We were to get women. I like. Yeah, I think I met you the first time was at my house, wasn't it? When you yes. came to my potluck that I hosted. And I think we were immediately like, "Who are you? I love you." Yes, because we were both Laura's. But then, like, all the little things started coming out that were similar. And when you're at a big table of like a bunch of people, it's kind of hard to get really in depth in that. So I just remember hanging out afterwards in my living room with you for like a half an hour talking about Dune. Yeah. Well, and I was in this place in my life where I had always been very social through my church groups and I just left my church kind of like flailing about going, well, how do I socialize? Like that's the question from all adults everywhere. Like, how do you make friends? And then I found this group. I don't remember how I found it. It might've been because uh, Michaela, did I say mm-hmm. that right? It's been years you since did. I said her name out loud. Yeah, but, Michaela. <laughs> yeah, I like think I met her and then she suggested it. I don't remember quite honestly, but I ended up just being like, let's do this. And I went and the I met you and I was so uncomfortable because I'd never been in a meeting or a, a group of people where they were all drinking. That sounds crazy. <laughs> I don't think I realized that. No, I like... I, I hadn't because even like the friends I hung out with that were like ex-Mormons, like at a certain point we were like, yeah, we're going to drink. And it was very teenage. It was very like, <laughs> what should we get? And I remember the first time I went to the liquor store, I was like, I'm going to get um, Bailey's because of that, that skit. With- From the Mighty Boosh? Yes, the Mighty Boosh. And so I was like, I'm going to get Bailey's. Turns out I don't really like Bailey's, by the way. And it's not but- good in the shoe either. Just no. for the <laughs> No, but like that was my world with alcohol as far as it was concerned. And so that, that was one of my first times where I was like, I'm allowed to just drink wine. And like, I was just so like, what? By every- I, was, I was so nervous that night. I was terrified. I had just like gotten the curtains up and we'd lived there for a little bit, but it was like, you know how it is the yeah. impetus to get something done in your house is always someone coming over. And I was having 15 people and I had camp chairs in my lift, my kitchen because I didn't have enough. I remember. But I remember, I mean, I remember making grits and barbecue and thinking like, this is so much fun. I felt it was one of the first times I remember around a group of women just feeling really genuinely happy and yeah. safe. And by the way, I very much remember your apartment and thinking it was so cool. 
I was like, this is the yeah. next level of adulthood for me. I'm going to a real person's apartment with real decorations. And like, this is real life because I was so used to like in the Mormon church, it's called like single adults. Like, yeah, so you're all like yeah. in these sort of transient apartments with different roommates over the years until you get married and then your life starts. And so I just going to your apartment and it was just felt so like, these are like real life adults and we're like drinking our cupcake wine. That makes me so happy because I never feel like a grown up ever. <laughs> no, it was such a big deal for me. And then, yeah, I remember you gave me the, um, the wine okay. tempered chronicle, right? Yes. And I yeah. behind me on my desk. So I was about to roll and get it, but then I realized that didn't matter to our listeners and I just got excited. <laughs> Did you ever read it? I, okay. <laughs> I read like three quarters of it. Fair. And there's not a reason that I didn't finish it, but you know, so wait, say the title for the listeners. So we're a little less annoyed. Okay. Yeah. So this is one of my most favorite books. It's called the wind up bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami, a Japanese novelist. If that doesn't sound pretentious enough for you, <laughs> um, he's extremely prolific. And I guess everybody always asks, what's the book about? And I think I remember, I remember you were probably the first person I think after I'd read it, that I'd actually explained what the book was about. And I think I said something like, a guy's cat goes missing and then like a bunch of other stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty much the only way you can explain it. But it was um, by far one of the most important books I've ever read in my life. I, I think one of the things about that book, and this is part of why I didn't finish it, but I still want to finish it, is it's got such a mood. Yes. And when you listen to it, it makes you feel different. It Were like, you listening to it or reading it? Oh, I started by reading it and then I stopped I moved all this change happened. And so I found it on audiobook and then I was listening to it and I felt that the mood was the same though. I bet it. I just never even considered listening to the audio version, but I bet that helps set the mood because the mood, if you've never read Murakami, I mean, I know it does sound pretentious, but he really creates a world that you exist in and it can be hard to like close the book and go back into reality. Yes, that's exactly it. And so I'd find myself a little bit emotionally exhausted, even though it's not like it's sitting there, like talking about things that you might think of that are emotionally exhausted, mm -hmm. exhausting. I just would find myself, I'd read it or listen to it and I'd be in this altered state and I'd be a little bit tired. And so I was just like, I have to do this in increments. And so it ended up taking me a while. And then I, I like, I don't know, one day started listening to something else or doing something else. And then here we are, but you lose momentum and it, it's a, it's a big, heavy book. And it's, yes. it's not like, I, I don't recommend it to everyone. Cause honestly, like it's not for everyone. It's a big, thick book and there's a lot of Japanese names and it was, you know, it's tricky for your brain to kind of, it's like, if you ever read Russian literature, it's hard for your brain to grasp it. But that one, it was the first, it was the second Murakami book I ever read, but that one for me gave me like, just the meat and potatoes of what he's about, which is really your shadow, your shadow self and yeah. integrating that into your life and discovering it. And that kind of set that book set me on that journey, like hardcore making me, I'm like, I need to finish it. Now's the time. Dude, really? When, if not now, when, right? That's one of the things I wrote on the list is where is it? The time of why not? Because we it is the time of why not it, talking about this podcast. And you told me about something you had done. And I was like, it's the time of why not? 
Well, it's a time of why not, but you're constrained, right? Because it's like, why not? But I can't go drive and do that. Or I I don't have this one particular thing I need. So I think it's going to drive a lot of personal innovation with people. It has for me because I didn't have masking tape and I wanted to trace a shadow I saw. And so I found command strips and used command strips and it works. But that's like, that's where the real creativity comes from is having that pressure and that constraint. And some people can do well with that and some people don't. And we're all finding who, out who we are now. Yeah, no, that's real. That's Dennis, my husband. We were talking about that yesterday. Just this like, normally, for example, normally on like a Friday night, if we don't have anything happening, which is kind of rare for us, we go out a lot. But if we are like, oh, we don't have anything on our calendar, then we might say, well, let's go to the store. Let's go to the right. mall. Let's go spend money. Let's walk around. Food. I don't know. We yeah. just it would be this certain list of things that seemed easy. And now it's like, well, we can't always choose those things. Like we can't just go to the mall clearly. So we're having to become more creative and we're finding things that we used to enjoy doing. They were like, wow, I forgot how much I enjoy this. Like yesterday we drove to Antelope Island and I've never been there. Oh my God. You're one of those people. You're one of those people that are like, you you've lived in Utah for a while. Right. And yeah. never been. It's that place is one of the most amazing places on earth. I was blown away by it. Like, yeah, I've lived in Northern Utah for like oh, 10, 11 years now. And I've yeah. just, my friends have gone there. One time I was going to go camping there and then it was full. It just never worked out. Yeah. And so finally we we're like, you know, it's open up again and we can drive there and we we're still quarantined, but all we did is like, he paid for it on an app online. So we yeah. didn't have to touch anything. We just showed the lady our screen and drove in and then we didn't interact with anyone. And it was beautiful. Okay. And I was just so, like, what? I think this is great that people are doing this. I have one, cause I have extreme anxiety about weird things that don't make any sense. My fear is what about a public toilet? Oh, yes. And um, I think you just defined anxiety when you said my kind of anxiety. Anxiety <laughs> is just having weird anxiety about weird things yes. like the things that I'm afraid of or anxious about aren't things I should be anxious about and then things that I should be anxious about I'm not so anxiety <laughs> doesn't make sense let's start no. there right but yes I 100% agree with you and I'm a big peer <laughs> like yes, I, pee every I have minute. to pee all the time <laughs> and so I was very worried about it but I lucked out I went pee one time the whole quite we were there for a long time and we had to drive there from Salt Lake but there was a bathroom there and I happen to always keep baby wipes in my car. So and we have our masks and our gloves and whatever. So I just like got a wad of baby wipes and put them in my pocket. And then I had one in my hand and this, I just love that this is where we're at in the world right now that I'm describing to you how I yes. use the bathroom, but here we are. But I feel like everybody has these questions because we're all wondering, what do we do? How's everybody else doing this? And my God, if you take a misstep right now, it, forget about it. Well, so I took my, my one of many baby wipes and I had it on my hand. So it was sort of a shield. And then I opened the door and then just with one hand, and then I shut the door and locked the door using the baby wipe. And then I laid the baby wipe on the handle. Cause it was one of those like L handles. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So then I left the baby wipe there and I thank God the seat was clean. <laughs> Cause that's a rarity. Right. And so I used the restroom, you know, there's a little hovering involved, but and then I use the toilet paper. I just have to assume the way that the virus works, like the chances of somebody touching that toilet paper 
and then me happening to touch the spot that happened to pass from them is so unlikely that it's right. not really a thing to worry about. That's yeah. what I've read. And we're, we're feeling like every single surface is just coated and yes. covered in every single thing. And that's unfortunately, as, as much as we'd like to believe that's true, to justify our fears and actions, yes. it's not. We have to have this balance. Like we, right. On the one hand, yes, germs spread everywhere. But on the other hand, like if, if my hand is, has some COVID on it and then I touch something, not all of it's transferring. It's not like these magnets or I don't know. So I use the bathroom and then when I was done, I was able to go back to that baby wipe and then I left and there was a trash and I threw away the baby wipe and then I washed my hands. Okay. Okay. This makes me feel a little bit better. Like I may be able, I haven't ridden. So for this Friday will be six weeks um, that we've been self kind of isolated. My son and I have not been in another building other than our house in almost six weeks. I have not been in a car in that long. Um, And now let me, let me first say that this is a lot of privilege in that statement. I fully recognize we are extremely privileged right now. Um, I lost my job back in October. So I started kind of self-isolating back then. I've been in training mode for this. So I feel like I'm kind of, I've come to terms with it a lot faster than a lot of people I know have. Because not only did I lose my job in October, I also got a pinched nerve in January. And I was literally bedridden for five weeks. Yeah. And so if you've ever had chronic pain or something like that, you have to really kind of come to terms and grieve. Like you don't know when it's going to end. And you, there's a lot of mental stuff you've got to deal with. And I feel like a lot of people are doing that now. Yeah. And so I kind of felt like I had already gone through some of this, but it's been six weeks. I'm so we 100% with you. Yeah. We haven't been anywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this week we might try to go for a hike, but I just don't want to get out there and then feel weird about it. If I run into someone, do you know what I mean? And, and that's for me. I just, I, I, I'm so anxious. I just want to avoid that altogether. It's, we, so we've been quarantined for probably that long and I feel very similar. Like I'm very privileged to still have a job. Um, but as a teacher, I'm used to having summers off. And so my personality, I kind of quarantine three months of the year. Yeah. Like I still socialize with people and I do miss that aspect. And I certainly go, Oh, I'm bored. I'll go to the antique mall and wander around. But I, I spend a lot of time at home doing arts and crafts. I spent a lot of time at home yeah. hanging out with my cats. So I'm like, this kind of just feels like summer came early. Ugh. Well, I mean, it's, it's nice. What's going to be interesting is when it goes beyond, if it goes beyond, you know, a certain time frame yeah. for you, if that does start to get to you. I'm very curious. And actually, you know, um, like two years ago, a year and a half ago, I don't know how long I was unemployed. And mm-hmm. it's the first time other than summer that I had been unemployed as an adult, basically, like it was, it was very stressful for me and I was in a very similar circumstance, but because money wasn't coming in, it caused so much anxiety for me. I was depressed. I was crying. It was a very different and difficult time for me. And now I'm like, it's kind of the same as it was then, but because I have income coming to me, I don't feel any of those anxieties. Yeah. It's a total different ball game. My, My husband has a job. And, you know, before, before I had my most recent job, I was a stay-at-home mom for years. So I was used to relying on his income. So this wasn't, you know, a huge change for us. It was, it was more of the mental of like, not just losing my job, but what my job was. It was, it was kind of unique and all that. And so that was a very big blow to me. And like, I wasn't prepared mentally. I had a full-on mental breakdown in December, like full-on. 
And, um, and it's been a lot better. I've come to terms with a lot of things, but man, if this had happened in October, I literally, I don't know how I would have handled this. I really, really don't. And I, I'm definitely an extrovert, uh, in most of my ways, but I'm also very comfortable as an introvert. I'm kind of extrovert that like has to plan introvert days in the middle of things. Yeah. Um, cause I used to lead a lot of group activities for a lot of women and I talk a lot and I also have anxiety about how much I talk. And so it does a number on me and this like weird cyclical thing. And, um, yeah, I just, I feel so much more attuned with myself. We're happy here. I've got my kid at home. We're exploring. It's, it's full on Renaissance mode in our house right now. If you're interested in something, dive deep into it. Let's get into it right now. I love it. It's like it's Montessori. It's kind of like that. Yeah, it feels a lot like that. I mean, it's been opera. Oh, really? I went down a really big rabbit hole with the opera, and that has been the single most cathartic thing I've done for myself besides spicy food. Spicy food has been really good. It's helped me get out of my numbness. What did I eat? Yeah. Did you ever watch Roswell? No, I never did. Oh, the aliens. Oh, that was a hot sauce thing, wasn't it? Yeah, the aliens on Roswell loved really, really spicy or really sweet. So they'd put sugar and, and Tabasco sauce on everything. When I start getting really anxious or I'm starting to feel like I'm, I, I can, I start to feel that numb out. There's like a warning I get in my body where I'm like, I'm too numb. I've been too numb. I there's this bag. It's probably stale now of like Buffalo popcorn that mm-hmm. burns my tongue and I'll just eat a few pieces of it. And it is, it's just like this. Okay. Deep breath. I'm alive. I can feel something, you know, it's, it's yeah. nice to remind. And then I can go meditate and feel a little better. <laughs> you, do you go to therapy? Um, I was doing therapy and then we've had some change with the finances. So I'm working on kind of getting that back into it. So what I've been doing is doing a lot of um, self-help therapy book reading and talking to a lot of people and just learning as much about it. But yeah, I need, um, there's about three different therapists I need for various issues I'm struggling with right now. I just, I asked because I love your coping mechanism basically. Mm -hmm. And that's been something that like, if I had been experiencing what is happening in the world right now, um, you know, two, three years ago before I was really intensively in therapy, basically, I don't know what, I don't know how I'd function or cope because I've learned so much in therapy about how to like take care of myself. Yeah. Even like when the earthquakes, which we need to talk about that. Yes, we do. (laughs) But um, when the earthquakes were happening here in Utah, I I'm terrified of earthquakes. I grew up with them. They're a huge, problem for me a fear because I've exist I've experienced really bad ones and so I was just for days shaking you know that anxiety feeling when your whole body I, is buzzing it was like yes. that but like literal shaking and I was just like wait I know grounding techniques and I texted you and I was like don't be a douche I loved it it was so sweet of oh, you <laughs> I, I texted Laura I'm talking to the listeners now I texted her like immediately, like, make sure you do this grounding exercise, make sure you do these breathing techniques because they were helping me so much. And then afterwards I was like, was I just a douchebag who was like, you're in the middle of trauma. Let me dump a bunch of shit on you. <laughs> no, you were not a douchebag. I felt terrible because I forgot to respond right away and all the, like what was always going on. And then it was like, Oh God, I bet she feels bad. Like she shouldn't have sent that. <laughs> so, but no, it was great. And I think, um, I've actually tried a lot of different grounding techniques mm-hmm. over the past year. I met, I started doing, um, <laughs> forest bathing. Forest bathing. Yes. I love it. I love it. It is my 
favorite thing I've ever done for myself. So I met um, this woman moved to town, this tiny little beautiful hippie woman named Sari, Sari, Sari. I kept wanting to say sorry, but it was scary. And she, I've done it twice with her and we did it in the botanical garden and then we've done it in one other place. And it's, um, do you know what it is? I don't want to assume. Well, I was just going to say, isn't, don't you just like go in the forest? Is there more to it? There's a lot more to it. I, I didn't realize this. So uh, there's a great book I'll recommend for you and the listeners. It's called uh, The Nature Fix by Florence Williams. I think it's probably been a very influential book. I saw her give a speech at Outdoor Retailer a few years ago. And the idea is, in America, kind of how we interact with nature and how it affects the physiology and the psychology of humans. And she went and compared that to other cultures, Korea, Japan, places like that. Um, and she found that they were doing these, these more institutionalized um, nature walks. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is in over there, especially in South Korea and in Japan, they built these forests specifically for this purpose. And so you can go in and get your cortisol levels measured with a swab and they'll take your blood pressure and run these metrics. And then they take you on this guided forest bath. And then you come back and get measured again. And you would see, oh, I, I don't remember the exact statistics, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like a, a two-point drop in blood pressure. Um, and a two-point drop in this, and everything just started coming down just within 10 minutes. Wow. And so when the opportunity came to Boise, and for those who don't know where Boise, Idaho is, I recommend you look at it on a map because it's probably not where you think it is. We're in the middle of absolutely nowhere. In fact, you guys are the closest metropolis to us in Salt Lake City, which is- And we're not that close. (laughs) Five hours away. So we're really out here. So when that came, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, So what it is, it's a series of of invitations. So you go and she invites you and you stand in a circle with other strangers you've never met, which is kind of what I do. That's what I used to do for a living. I'm very comfortable in that mode. Yeah. And she would hold a little stick or a twig or something she'd found. And she would invite you to close your eyes and just smell. And you just close your eyes and you just notice what smells you smell. And then at a certain point, she would say, now, whichever direction you feel called, turn, turn. And you would stand there for a minute and she goes, now open your eyes. And it was exercises like that. And you'd pass the twig around and say what you shared. And then it would be, we're moving to another section. And so it would be movement-based. And you would go, did you see Zootopia with the sloths? How slow they move, very freakishly slow. I did not see the movie, but I know what you're speaking of. Yeah. So it feels like that. And to grown-ups, it's horrible to make us be forced to move that slowly when we are so used to just getting to the destination. Yeah. It, it was really hard for me at first. And you, but you start to notice patterns and you start to notice little critters. There's partner exercises. I've done a million different things, but the whole idea is to take you to the minutia of the forest, the smallest things. So you can see kind of the big picture stuff throughout it. And you're just really interacting very slowly and intentionally. And usually at the end, you take your shoes off and physically ground in the dirt, which is my favorite grounding activity. I do it in my backyard throughout the day. Um, And so that's where I learned that. And I think everybody should do it. And you don't have to have, like everybody thinks you've got to go to the Tetons or whatever. You don't. A park, your backyard. If you don't have a yard, walk down to someone's yard and sit in it for a second. Dig your feet in the dirt. Take a breath. I love that. I'm doing that later today. I already t- asked Dennis, like, hey, can we go on um, 
a walk up on the the hills behind the avenues here in Salt Lake. Yeah. We went on a hike and I've been up there before, but we kind of explored and found this hike up there. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful and amazing and glorious. And I'm a big earth grounding kind of person. Like I go to the beach and I like getting in the water, sure. But what I really want to do is three hours face down in the sand. I'm not kidding. It is heaven to me. It doesn't matter if it's warm or cold. Face down in the sand at the beach, looking at the sand for like three hours is my heaven. I totally get it. I grew up in Florida on the beach. Like that was my life. I lived on the sand of the Gulf of Mexico and the panhandle of Florida. My granddad's house was on the sand. And moving out west, which almost seven years ago now, has been so freaking hard for me because for the longest time, the ocean is what grounded me. And I don't think I realized it. And then- Withdrawals. Oh, I absolutely do. You know, we're eight hours from the Oregon coast and we usually go like once a year, but obviously who knows what's going to happen this year. Um, but yeah, I, I took a trip to Joshua Tree with my son before uh-huh. we moved up here. And that is really the thing that made me fall in love with the desert. Yes. That place, man. I mean, you want to tell, I've got a poop story for you from Joshua Tree, oh, by the way. Story. If you want to share that, you should share that. Okay. Well, you can share it later or it's fine. It's well, I might as well tell, I mean, so it was, it's a poop story from my son. So hopefully he won't be too mortified about it, about me sharing it. But, uh, your son, was, his name is, uh, Montgomery. Cletus. I was going <laughs> to give a fake name. You can't. His name's too to good to give a fake one. That's funny. That's Montgomery's favorite name that you said Cletus. He has a stuffed oh, animal named Cletus. I have no idea. Oh yeah. It's we're Simpsons people, you know. Okay. Okay. That's the way this works. But yeah, so we went to Joshua Tree. Um, I was supposed to go to San Diego with my son to see my best friend. The day we left, or the day before we left, my son came down with pneumonia. And this was when we lived in Ogden and the inversion was horrible. So it was President's Day weekend, Valentine's Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And I said, screw it. We're going to go anyway, but we're not going to go to San Diego. We'll just go camping in Joshua Tree. So I took him by myself. And the air cleared up his lungs immediately. Everything was totally fine. My son went missing for like seven minutes in the park. Had to get the park rangers involved. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, it was a whole thing. And uh, it turns out he had just gone to find a trail. He said, I wanted to find a lovely hiking trail for you, mommy. It was ridiculous. And I was like sobbing. It was, I was that mom. And that's why I'm always like, be that mom. It's okay to be that mom sometimes. So the last day a windstorm came and blew in my tent and I had to throw my child out of the tent as it was about to go down the hill. Like it was terrifying. I said, screw this. I threw everything in my car. We're going to Vegas. My kind of lady. Yeah. So we started driving to Vegas, except that it was Valentine's day and we didn't have a reservation. So we had to pay $200 for a normal, like $20 hotel room. Yeah. It's great. And uh, so we start to leave and we're at this part where you leave Joshua Tree and you cross route uh, Route 66 and you get into the Mojave Desert. And I hear my son go, mommy, I have to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, oh, okay, do you have to go poop or pee? And he goes, poop. And every mom knows that feeling. You're just like, no. you know that feeling. You're yeah. a human. You have to Way poop sometimes. And so I'm like, okay, I pull, I pull out my phone. I'm like, I think we're like 20 minutes from Kelso which has a toilet. I'm like, just 20 minutes. I'll go as fast as I can. It was too late. Oh, the damage, the damage was done. (laughs) And bless his heart. He was so upset. 
you guys, I'm from the South. I say bless, I say bless your heart. I don't mean it as an insult, just for the record. Um, but I felt so terrible, but so we, I get him out of the car. And as I have always my, his whole life tried to do is I answer without shame. And I told him, I said, every adult human being you have ever met in their life has pooped their pants. Yes. Every, every person you've ever met has, it just happens. So we're just going to get you cleaned up and we're going to move along and it's all going to be okay. Yes. And he was totally fine. I think he felt a little empowered. Like we got cleaned up, get back in the car. We get to Kelso. I'm like, okay, bud, you sure you don't need to go potty? I'm fine. 10 minutes later, oh, mommy, I had to go potty. <laughs> okay. Well, surely it's pee at this point. It was, it was not. Oh. It was not pee. And so we pull over and this road is amazing. This road parallels railroad tracks through the Mojave Desert and it's just expansive views, Joshua trees everywhere. But because the railroad tracks um, kind of go over these hills, there's these dips in the road. Yes. Oh. So I pull off into oh. one of those and there's some shrubs. Okay. And I'm like, great, we're kind of protected. But like at this point, it's happening. Here we are. So that's how I taught my son to poop outside. Yeah. Got completely naked from the west, waist down, like ass to grass, let's do this. And yeah. he was obviously not feeling well, we'll leave it at that. And as I look behind him, I'm holding his hands. I, that's how I learned how to pee outside oh. was to do the, the counterbalance thing. Oh, okay. Well, I'm holding his hands so he doesn't fall in it because he's five and this is tricky. Yes. And I look behind him and I see the silhouettes of the Joshua trees and it was the most beautiful sunset <laughs> I had ever seen in my life. And it's like electric purple and orange and yellow and there's liquid hot poop coming out of my son. And, and the whole time I'm just like, if this doesn't sum up motherhood, like you take the good with the bad. You can never just have the perfect sunset. There's going to be a smear of crap on it somewhere and you've just got to learn to accept it. That is beautiful. So there you go. There's my poop story. Do with that what you will. That was amazing. That was amazing. I just, I, wow. It's, I had questions along the way, but then you answered them. I, it, <laughs> it's, it's really a whole story. And I just, I remember you have no signal right there. And all I could do is laugh. And I just had tears pouring down my face. And we're, all we can do is laugh about it, right? We're pooping yeah. outside. It's fun, you know? I love stuff like that. When you are just like out in the wilderness or in the world or even on a road trip, whatever it is, and you just have to like make do with what you have, just like we are right now in the quarantine right. and then like shit hits the, the forest floor or whatever. I don't know. And you just have to deal with it. You deal with it and people have always dealt with it and there's no shame yeah. in dealing with it. And we've been taught that there's shame in it and it's what our bodies do. Like whatever. Yes. It's yes. Gonna, I just, I hate shame. I hate shame based anything. I'm with you. I think that's like the most important thing. Like what you were just saying is respond without shame and to a kid, because as a teacher, I deal with that a lot. Like 90% of the answers for me are just like, just treat your student with respect and like, don't shame them. Like they're just trying to learn and problem solve. It's just, they're humans. And for so long people treat kids like they're tiny, dumb things running around without a soul. And you're like, Look, my kid, I, I don't even know what I believe in anymore, but I look at my kid and there are no doubt like thousands of iterations of souls within him. It, like, yes. We had this cat in our alleyway that Montgomery just found. And I'll send you a picture. 
I was meditating on our mats in the garage the other day and Montgomery was playing around and I hear him go, mommy, there's a cat. I'm like, okay, I'm meditating just a minute. When I'm done, we'll check it out. So I go and find it and he's named it. It's a, it's like a big gray fluffy cat, like a, almost like a Maine Coon, but I don't think technically a Maine Coon, but it had jade green eyes. Like I've never seen. Mm. And I'm like, Oh God. And he runs up to me crying. And he's named it Queen of Clouds. Oh, my goodness. And he goes, Mommy, I'm so worried about Queen of Clouds. What if somebody isn't taking care of her? She has mats in her fur. And I said, well, buddy, we don't know. We don't, we don't know who. She could belong because we have all these little apartments back there. She yeah. could belong to someone. I'm not about to bring another animal into my house at this point. I've got two that are too much as it is. But he then the best part, his eyes fill with tears. I just have such a special connection with her. Oh my goodness. And I'm just like, oh. okay, like who am I to tell him he doesn't? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, post, I posted on next door. Does anyone know this cat? My empathetic nine-year-old has a big heart. Nobody said anything. So we put food and water out there for her today. I don't know what's going to happen. But that's like, this kid is. Yeah. No, I, I'm like the whole time. I'm like, I am, I'm Montgomery. That's <laughs> I know. I, and can you imagine if somebody had like nurtured that in you a little bit? I don't know. Maybe someone did for you. No one ever nurtured that for me. I don't know. I've never really thought about that. There's a lot of things that I'm like, no one nurtured that in me. And I have a lot of mommy issues. Oh, but <laughs> same. I've been, I've been discovering a lot in the past six months where I've been like, I thought I was over my parent shit because I'm 36 and I thought I was done being angry. And then the new stuff comes out and I'm like, oh man, I'm actually mad about that. I'm like a little paranoid. My mom will listen to my podcast, but I'm just like, I'm trying one really important thing that I'm like, secretly super excited to talk to my therapist tomorrow about yeah that's always like, fun is that this podcast is helping me realize that I can't live my life being afraid of offending people and we kind of talked about this before we started recording of just like you can't you can't function that way but that's how I function my whole life yeah my religion and my family and then my dad is from Florida and Georgia did I yep I knew that, yes right? we knew I knew this so yeah. a lot of that like kind of southern shame about etiquette and like behavior <sighs> and like a lot of personal guilt like oh I don't want to put you out there's a lot of that I have all of that in me and so I have a lot of shame and fear about like well I don't want to say something that's mean about my mom even though I have these feelings and I'm processing through it so this podcast has been interesting for me to be like you can't worry about offending someone. You just need to kind of share your truth for lack of, ugh, there's got to be I'm a not, place, but. It doesn't sound good when you say to share your truth. Cause it doesn't, but, but it really, I mean, it is what it is. It, that's what it is. And it sucks that we have parents that can't handle our truth sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But that's on them, not it's us. A big thing. It's been a yeah. big thing for me, but it's been a really amazing, um, you know, I mentioned a few years ago, if this pandemic thing had happened, I don't know how I would have processed it. The same is with my mom. Like I look at five years ago, the interactions I was having with her and they were real bad. And yeah. recently my mom has said some really horrible things via text on our family group text. Oh no. And I have been able to turn around and just like completely smooth the situation. Like, but not like, um, pacify her necessarily, but like yeah. very honest and blunt but say it in a way that nobody's mad. And I'm tricky. Every time I'm like therapy, 
<laughs> and it's, it's okay. So how long have you been in therapy? Um, this, so when I was, I feel like I have to rewind a little, when I was 18, I went to a little bit of therapy and it was life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was convinced I was bipolar because my dad was bipolar and it was my first year of college and I did a bunch of stupid shit. And my mom was like, you did stupid shit. Clearly you're bipolar. So she took me to the doctor and I hated our freaking doctor. I hated him because he would just give you pills like they were candy. So he has me fill out this form. I'm going on a tangent here. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> he had me fill out this form that was like made, made by the makers of Abilify or you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The form is like, have you ever been sad? Yes. Have you ever been way, way happy? Yes. You're bipolar. Like I'm ser- I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's what it was like. And so they put me on this bipolar medication and it made me go cuckoo. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to kill myself. And I'd never been like suicidal like that before. It was really bad. So I stopped taking it. So my mom finally like took me and I, I had a therapist and my therapist at the end of it all was like, I saw him for like six months and he was like, you are not bipolar. You don't even have depression. You shouldn't be on Prozac. All of this is from your mom saying you have these things because she and your dad have those things. So it was just like very interesting because for the first time in my life, I had a person of authority saying, no, yeah. none of that's, you're fine. <laughs> like you're just 18 and you were in love with a boy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no, I totally get it. And then years later, I had therapy through my university um, at Weber State, nice. and it was okay until it wasn't. Yeah. But then about, I don't know how long it's been, two, two years ago, two and a half years ago, I was in a really dark place. I had some really, really traumatic experiences at work. I ended up being oh, yeah. fired from my job because they wanted me to falsify special ed documentation, and I was unwilling that's what I would say anyway. So they yeah. fired me. Um, and I was just in this horrible place. And my husband knew he was like, you need to have some therapy because he loves therapy too. He used to attend therapy. And I was like, I know, but it's so hard to find a therapist. It's, it's a hard process. But uh, he found this place here in Ogden that does therapy and yoga and meditation. Oh, and- that's it. And I was just like, sign me up. And I went in and I met the owner and I was like, I love you. He came to my wedding with his partner. I was just like, I love you. You're amazing. Um, and he hooked me up with this therapist and I've been with her for a couple of years and I'm just like, I love you. <laughs> so she- did you do the thing? Like when you started therapy hardcore, like recently with this person, did you do the thing where you tried to get everybody else into therapy? Oh yeah. No, I still yeah. do that though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it ever goes away. My sister. So my sister is, 10 years younger than me. So I'm 36. Yeah. So she's 26. And she's had a, we had different dads. Yes. And she had, a, her dad was the psychopath. It tried to kill her. It's, it's a, it's a long story. We're not even going to get into it. Yeah. Um, we started trying to do some investigation on our end to kind of find out some things and it's hit a, it's hit a wall, but um, she had really good reason to go into therapy and for years wouldn't. And then finally last year, I, I finally was like, look, just talk to mom. She used to go to a therapist that was a female. You'll really like her. Just get that phone number. Just promise me you'll call her. And she did. And I said, no, and she went to the first thing and we talked and we were getting really close. And I was like, look, you're going to start doing this thing. You're going to want to alienate everybody, you know, to try to get them into therapy and just remember, it's not your job to do that. And, and we're, we're, we've reached kind of like peak point with her right now where we're all just like, we get it. Like, we know we're so happy for you, but 
it's I, hard. I, I discovered meditation in December and I did the same thing. So I do it with everything. I think yeah, it's just who I am. I'm not saying it's a good thing all the time, but it's also a very Mormon thing, a very Christian. <laughs> yes. Oh, we have this good word of God. We must, everyone must get it. We must give it to them. It is our responsibility. It's otherwise our job. bad if we don't spread it. And I think that that mentality is just in me now. Like, Oh, now I have this new gospel <laughs> and therapy. Everyone must follow. It's the same as these freaking Mormons in Salt Lake who are like, I'm no longer a Mormon, but I'm a vegan. Let me tell you about the word of veganism. And you're just like, calm Wait, down. Like when you think about it and well, you, okay, I'm someone who lives in Utah for three, yeah. three years and uh, who's not from Utah. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like in every part of the Utah culture, when you, especially when you think of yeah. like the pyramid schemes that are born there and things like that, which we want like, so, you know, Idaho is like Utah light. Yes. Right. And, and here, especially Eastern Idaho, yeah. they're, they're <laughs> we won't talk about that. They, give, they, they live in a beautiful place. Um, it's a beautiful place, but the cities over there were not my favorite, but it's, it's very, um, it, it can be very similar. Boise is like this little oasis. Yes. And it's been really, it's been really nice. Um, and we chose that after our experiences in Utah, we didn't want to be in the suburbs. We wanted to be here so that he would go to a, a school with kids. And we have like our neighborhood is, you know, I don't know anymore since 45 took office, but um, we used to have our, our neighborhood was the, one of the highest ratios of refugees in Boise. You know, yeah. Boise brought in like more refugees from Syria, Iraq, and Iran than any of the other cities in the country. And we had our whole task force. So my kid was going to school with kids from all over the world here. Yeah. Which was way more diverse than we ever experienced in Utah. It was interesting. And it was funny because when we left Utah, I didn't want to leave. It's, it's interesting. I, I've taught at schools where there is friggin' no diversity. Yeah, we, we won't talk about it, but I think I know one place where you talk. <laughs> but my current schools are like some of the most diverse in the entire state. I would say I have, I wouldn't say like, it's a fact. I have more students that aren't white than that are like, I have, I, one day I was watching an assembly with the kids and there's like 350 kids in this auditorium. And I started counting the white kids <laughs> because I was, it, I hap- I was just like, wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, well, a rare thing in Utah. And there were like four white kids. It sticks out when you're in Utah, when you notice things like that, you know, I'm from a very different place where the demographic is very different, where I was one of the one white kid in the room all the time. And yeah. it's a different way of growing up. So Utah for us was like <sighs> shocking. We yeah. went from the fourth poorest city in the country to like where we were having drive-by shootings every day to Ogden. And we were like, holy crap, in some ways this is paradise. Yeah, and, and we, everyone makes fun of Ogden, and I'm always like, you have no idea. Shut oh, up. I like a little peachy paradise. People here get, like, are still, like, turn their nose up at Ogden sometimes, and I'm like, look, these are fighting words. I don't live there anymore, and don't get me wrong. I don't want to move back, but that place was magical. We had a totally different yes. perspective because you had that cool apartment there, too, though. Like, yes. we both had cool apartments in cool parts of town. If, had I lived somewhere else, I don't know that I would have liked it as much. Yeah, I... I, I lived with a bunch of white people in terrible apartment. I don't like, like white people. I'm white. I I say the same thing. Rob is, Rob does this all the time. He's like, Laura, you're a white woman. I say, I say, I say, rich white people who meditate, rich white women who meditate. That's always my thing. Rich white women. Stupid white. 
And Rob's like, Laura, you're a white woman and you just got done chanting in the other room. And I'm like, fair. I'm just ready personally for a world full of like caramel Asian people. And I, I just can't wait. Well, anyway, <laughs> I know that went weird. what we were talking about. I don't know either, Mercy, but this is a good chance for me to go take a pee beans. break. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can I take a pee break? I'll just pause it. Does that work? Yeah. I don't, well, actually I might just talk, but you go. Okay. Pee. Okay. Okay. I'll be right back. <laughs> oh, Laura, <laughs> listeners, Laura is taking the other Laura, not me. I'm not insane. Um, is taking a pee break. So I had something written up on my list that I was going to talk about, and it was this whole Facebook interaction I had, but it's definitely one of those things where in the heat of the moment, I was like, ah, oh, this dumb bitch, I'm going to talk about this on my podcast. And now, you know, fast forward a few days to a week and I'm like, ah, who cares? The gist of it is my perspectives on fatness are changing. Stick with me here. Um, I've been fat since, I don't know, middle school. As a kid, I was maybe a little pudgy. As a very young kid, I was not fat at all. But since at least middle school, I've been quite overweight. And so I've had to deal with this topic every day of my life. And I've had varying feelings about it over the, the years. And years ago, I mean, at this point, it's near to eight years, I lost a substantial amount of weight. We're talking 70 plus pounds. And it changed my life. And it was really nice. I mean, I'll just say that right now. It was really nice. I felt better physically. Um, I got more attention from men. Uh, I could wear clothes from any store I wanted. It was freaking awesome, you know? But here's the thing. Uh, fat people know that there are benefits to being thin. Like, I guess that's the big thing I'm learning is, like... <laughs> It's not like as a fat person, you've never heard that it'd be healthier to be thin before. And so when people feel the need to be like, let me help you get thin, you're like, shut up. Do you know how many people have helped or tried to help me get thin? You know how many times I've heard that I'm unhealthy? I'm pretty well aware of the fact that being doesn't make me healthier. I'm not a fucking dumb person. I like that, Laura, you just put your headphone in right as I went. I'm not a fucking dumb person. I started, I was like, I was telling the audience I was going to go off about this Facebook interaction I had, but then now a few days have passed and I'm like, ah, eh, who cares? But then of course I still went off on this thing about it. I didn't okay. specify the Facebook thing, but I was just talking about how my perspectives on being fat have changed over the years. Yeah. Um, when you met me, I was right at the point where I had just lost 70 plus pounds. Wow. And so I was much thinner than I am now and than I had been prior. And it was awesome. I mean, I can't deny that it was better. And that's why I was just saying. Interesting. But I think one of the important points is that, like, it's not a mystery that being thin is easier. Thinner no. is easier. Do you know what I mean? But we, we definitely sometimes but, talk about it like it's not. Exactly. Like people treat fat people like they have no idea that there's a better world out there for them or like that they've never tried to lose weight or that they're completely unaware that there might be health risks involved with like being a certain weight. And so that's something that I've been thinking about a lot more lately. Um, I've been into this uh, book, Intuitive Eating. Oh, so we have a, we have a body positive activist here in Boise. Uh, you may have seen her stuff. Her name is 
Oh, Amy Pence Brown is her name. Um, she goes by Idaho Amy on Instagram. She there's a viral video of her a few years ago at the Boise Farmers Market where she's wearing a black bikini and she's she's fat, um, and she has markers out and she lets people draw messages of love all over her body in a bikini. Yeah, that's cool. And in the middle of a busy farmers market, I, I I'm not sure. I'm sure if you look up um, Boise Amy body positive or self-love video that'll pop up. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but she is, that's, she teaches on body positivity and all of that. And that is the number one book she recommends. Yeah, actually I am when I, before I taught, I'm okay. I'm all over now. That's okay. <laughs> I'm teaching elementary art right now, visual oh. art. And before that I was at a treatment center for traumatized teenage girls. The last time I saw you in Salt Lake, I think that's what you were doing. Yeah. And it was a really interesting experience and I'm really glad I'm not doing it anymore, <laughs> but I learned a lot and I worked with like 20 therapists because the girls, their, their main goal there was therapy. And then education was certainly secondary, but every single therapist, every single health specialist, every single person there was just like intuitive eating, intuitive yeah. eating, intuitive eating. And so of course it came, you know, trickled down the line to me and and that's something that I'm finally kind of looking into and listening to. I'm being very casual about it because my therapist is like, you're just trying to survive. You're not allowed to try and do really hard things. <laughs> and that's, I think that's super fair, but I also think it's okay to like dip your toe in something and start, but I don't know if you're like me, I'm, <laughs> there is no dipping my toe in anything. It's just a full face yeah. forward dive into anything oh. I do. So when I, like, I've been working on setting boundaries with things like that. So when I started Kundalini meditation and yoga in December, I, I have a tendency to go hardcore into whatever it is within like the first two weeks. And then I'm done within a month. Right. And this time I, I started recognizing really early on that something was working for me in a different way. And so I would, I, I started going a little deeper. I was doing like two hours, two and a half hours of meditation and chanting wow. every day. And that's when I got a pinched nerve from sitting in the pose for that long. The oh, one thing my. that was saving my life was the one thing killing me, which is uh, what we in this house refer to as Laura's law. <laughs> that's just the way my life works. It doesn't make, I'm not a sad sack about it. I just you kind of like, okay, of course that's what's happened. Um, but I was, I started setting boundaries where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do these two meditations today and I'm not going to let myself, I'm not going to look at anything else for the rest of the day. And I, I started kind of changing my routine a little bit because I didn't want to get burned out. Yeah. And so I think like with this kind of stuff, especially right now when you have all this time and your brain is like all over the place with all of these things, it makes sense to kind of like. I guess think about your, your mind and the time you have to explore stuff and divisions, right? Yeah. You don't want to go full on with one thing. I'm enjoying I, this like solidarity. Yeah. Yeah. Moment because <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of the stuff I'm seeing on social media is like, I can only pick two things a day and, and that's as far as I can go. And I kind of feel the opposite where yeah. I want to go hard to the freaking hole yeah. And I have to set those boundaries, like you were saying for myself, where I'm like, you're only allowed to do this. Or like, I am only allowed to set these expectations for myself. Yeah. Well, and I'm the kind of person that what I, what's freakish about me is that I struggle with, like, I, I can, I'll make a to-do list. I'll make the schedule. I'll make the plan. And then all of a sudden my body's like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. And I have yes. a whole mental split because now I'm unworthy because I didn't do the thing I said I was going to do. And it, it creates, like, I've seen everybody creating these schedules for their kids. 
and I like, I, I never, you do you. If that works yeah. for you and your kids, by all means, because we are all navigating new waters here. But that was the most horrific thing for me and my family because that, that would just confine us. We wouldn't feel the freedom. You've got to, like, what's the point of doing this if we're not going to benefit from this flexibility a little bit? 100%. You know, that's something I was curious about too is your experience with like homeschooling, or it's not homeschooling, but like a distance learning. I know yeah. in my school district, they just sent out this thing to teachers that says, we are way more focused on the emotional health of our students yeah. than anything else. We're going to alter grades. And then they're also, they just told us today, we don't want you to send daily lessons with schedules. We don't want you to do that. We want you to give each family, like each kid, a list of things you'd like them to accomplish or try yeah. to accomplish throughout the week and then let the family choose how they want to divide that. That's similar to what we're hearing here. Um, I mean, we've, I've honestly been shocked. Now, Idaho, are, do you to public school? Can you say? Yes, okay. Montgomery goes to a public school, but he doesn't go to the one he was going to. He's going to a new school now, and he's in the full-time gifted program. Uh -huh. And so it's been really interesting. Um, full disclosure, I used to be a homeschool teacher. I homeschooled my brother for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. My parents paid me to do that as a job because our school sucked. They could afford it. I needed a job. My brother and I are BFFs now. Like we're really close. It's awesome. Um, so I, it's not, this whole thing wasn't scary for me. When I found out this was happening, I was like on board because for me, like I, this is, I, I still am trying to figure out how to teach a third grader to memorize his multiplication tables without wanting to jump off a really tall bridge, but we'll get there. Patience. Um, our teacher has been really cool. She, we, we've got this weird thing though, where the school district is sending out one set of guidelines and yeah. saying, here are some things, but our teacher is sending out completely unrelated, totally different ones because they're geared toward the gifted program. Yeah. And what's been beautiful, she has to send both, but she's been said, it's up to you what you do. You don't do both. It's up to you. Yeah. So we've kind of applied like a pick and choose, but it's really funny. Uh, my son is uh, my best friend. I have a, I have one kid, which was a total freakish thing in Utah. We like were ostracized constantly for that there. But he and I are super close. Um, we do everything together. And so this has brought us even closer. But like he has, we, we, he does not have a diagnosis. But we suspect there is some spectrum involved yeah. with what's going on with him. Um, we've gone through a lot of different, we've had a lot of issues with his schooling. But we do think there's some ADD, ADHD stuff going on. Um, so it really helps Once to think again, about it. I am your son, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Well, I was telling described as me, but go on. I was on. telling him today. I was like, "Hey, I'm going to talk to Laura," and he goes, "Here's this Laura." And I said, "Do you remember when we went to the plant store and then we went into art in the park?" And he stops and he goes, "Does she have a yellow hat on?" And I was like, I, "I don't remember." And he goes, "The one with the really cool house and all the cats." And I was like, "That's the one." That's me. <laughs> I thought you'd, I think that you'd feel pleased about to that, to know that your house is cool and he remembers your cats. Um, but we, we went through a lot to get him into the gifted program at a different school four miles away. So we've had a lot of elements got, that got added in with school bus rides. That was brand new. And I was horribly scarred from school bus rides as a kid. So I was, Dude. that was terrifying to let my kid get on a school bus panic attack all day, but he did well with it. Um, and this year has been better. Actually, we do feel like the gifted program has been good, 
but we were noticing like he still was struggling with math and turning his work in on time and just generally keeping up with stuff. And it's been hard for me because I don't have a car or a one car family. And so getting to his school is very complicated at this point. So I wasn't volunteering in the class like I wanted to. So I really was missing something. Mm-hmm. Flash forward to quarantine. Now we're working from home. And now I'm able to see that what it is right now, he needs more one-on-one attention. Yeah. That's what he needs. He's not getting that. They weren't catching the fact that he was still writing his threes backwards. They weren't, you know what I mean? They weren't, yeah. there were so many little things and it's no fault to the teacher. Yeah. The school isn't set up to catch those things. Had I been more involved in the class, I might have. So I've been sitting here catching these things and I've been able to say, no, that's okay. All of their math is online. Mm-hmm. All of it. He doesn't know how to use a pen and paper to figure out math problems. That's weird. It's really weird. And so yeah. I kind of I went spun out. I, I'm a big proponent of common core math. I love it. Mm-hmm. I wish I had been taught that way. I had to teach myself some of these methods. Yeah. Um, so I've been really enjoying learning it with him. But he's killing it. Mm-hmm. Like we're getting his school done in an hour and a half every morning. And then we're like, okay, what do we want to do? So every morning we wake up at seven and we take the dog for a walk. And it's like, okay, today in school we're working, today we're working on concrete poems. And so we kind of go over the school stuff. And then I ask him, what is it that you would like to accomplish today? Mm-hmm. And he knows that accomplish could mean taking a nap if he wants to, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. And so we talk about the things he wants to do, the things I want to do, and how we're going to kind of work those into our day. And we usually watch an opera at lunch. We watched Mythbusters Junior today. We go outside and play. We've gone for bike rides. You know, we're, I feel like he's learning more now than he ever has. You are freaking killing it. Mm, I mean, I cry a lot too. (laughs) But I just think there's, that's something that lacks so much with teachers and parents and adults is they don't give kids any choice. Right. And my kid needs choice. In my classroom, I'm like, here's five choices. You choose one that fits for you. Yeah. Well, I just, because when you don't give kids choice, that's what leads to like eating disorders. And like a lot of the issues I have, like emotionally and mentally, it's because I wanted to do things a little differently and I wasn't given those choices. Do you see the cat? I do. I love it. (laughs) And I think sometimes for people who might, and again, I am not an, I'm not going to say I'm a spectrum mom because I'm not, um, again, no diagnosis, but I think for a lot of people with ADHD and, and issue in, in things that kind of work around that, you choice is really important and agency is really important and people forget that. And that, that's still a need within a person to have that choice and to feel fulfilled from making a choice. And so my kid, like I learned early on as a mom with him that choice is super important and that he would have a freak out if he felt like he couldn't make a choice. So what I started doing, what is what I think every mom figures out at some point is that you narrow it down to the two choices that are acceptable to you. And then you give them those two choices and then it's a win no matter what you do. It's a hundred percent. Do you know what I see with some parents and I won't say who or what, but um, and I know I'm not a parent, so I'm that obnoxious person, but I'm like, okay. but I have a teacher. teacher and it I have helps. a degree in this. And like, yes. I've been doing this stuff for a long time, but like interacting with kids, I'm perfect. I'm a professional kid interactor. So <laughs> I, I see like parents, they'll be like, okay, you can have a, a cookie or a candy 
or a thousand dollar cake. Do you know what? And then the kid will go, oh, I want the thousand dollar cake. And then the parent is so mad that they didn't choose the cookie. And you're like, why did you offer the cake, you dumbass? Well, and it's like, so Montgomery never mad at the kid. Oh. Montgomery, we've set, I've set really good boundaries, but I took a lot of shit for it as a mom because my, Rob used to say I was too militant. And I was raised in the military my, for the first few years of my life. I was a, a Marine child. My father is Marine. His father was a Marine. And I am a bit militant about rules and boundaries. I am a habitual rule follower, much to my husband's chagrin. It's like the worst thing about me. I hate that about myself. I'm trying to turn it into a good thing. But I... I'm just like, that's what I do. I don't know if you've noticed on this podcast and just me generally that like my biggest pet peeve in life is people who aren't following rules. Yeah. yeah. Like, like when I post on Instagram pictures of people at the comedy store or not the comedy store at the comedy club here in Salt Lake and they don't have their shoes on and I'm like, you're not following the rule. And I take a picture of them and I'm just like that person shaming them on the internet. And then it gets back into the shame thing, which isn't really the response either. Right. Oh, but I'm just like, you're not following. The rules. <laughs> it. It's hard. It's hard for me. And my son is very much that way. Like very hardcore has to follow all rules and he will police everyone else around him. And it makes his life like a freaking nightmare. Mm-hmm. But like you've got your job as a parent is to define boundaries for your child. Yes. And even, even it's just choosing what to eat. I'm not going to give them the entire full menu because they can't comprehend 50 choices. They're eight. Yeah. They can only comprehend a few choices. So you help them narrow it. Like, I don't know, people make it way harder for themselves than it needs to be, especially in Utah. I remember the kids in Utah a lot were like, we're kind of crazy. We got up here and I was like, okay, the kids are a little better here. It was, really? uh, yeah, a little bit in the city. There in Utah, it was, there's so many of them. Yes. And they're all, they all just, the parents are like, oh, the other moms will take care of it. There's, I know this is here. I don't need a disclaimer, but I know this could offend a lot of people in Utah. But like, if you have 10 kids, half of those kids are not going to be taken care of. Like, yes. fact. Yes. That's, it's the same. I agree. Size. You know, people ask, they say, what could we do to make schools better? What, like, everyone always brings up the amount that a teacher is paid. But yeah. I'm kind of like, actually, I'm paid, I'm paid an okay amount. I'm okay with it. Of course, I want more money. But do you know what I want more than anything in this world is smaller class sizes. Yes, exactly. And I mean, like, 10. Yeah. If somehow we could make it so every class size was 10 kids, education would completely transform. Because it... Like those days when like if I have a class of 25 or 30 and there's every once in a while a random day where like five kids are gone or it happens to be that certain kid, you have the easiest day ever. So <laughs> freaking matter. And I think that's it a does. real thing. And I say that like my grandma had 10 kids mm-hmm. and um, in my family there are six kids. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, but if you have more than one or two kids, there's no possible way that parents can give them the amount of care and energy and like emotional whatever that that kid needs you just can't have enough bandwidth like that was yeah that was my experience in Utah when other moms would be like oh can you do this for my kid and I'm like like, here's the thing I'm not a kid hater I'm not one of those people but like I really like my kid end of list yeah I probably don't like other people's kids as much as I pretend to that's just me being really honest I'm I've never been a kid person I I don't know that I really want this recorded for all of my life, but I've said it before. Like I never really wanted kids yeah. ever. 
I never thought I was going to be a mom. And then we got one and it surprised me when I wanted to go through with it and do it. I always thought I would opt out. I always thought I would. And then here I was and I wanted to have the baby and now I have the baby and I'm so glad I did, but I still don't want your stinking kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I teach and I love kids and there are plenty of days where I'm like, I hate kids. Why am I yeah. doing it? So, but I think like right now what I'm seeing with my son is proof that we need smaller class sizes because of the yes. tiny little things that have slipped out. Again, I don't expect, and I do not fault. His teacher is a wonderful human who is dealing with so much right now. And I'm honestly pleased with how it's been gone, with been going, but I'm also really grateful that I got this chance to like find these cracks in my kid's yeah. education and help support him up to that level and go, because he thinks, and I'm learning this, that when you have ADHD, ADD, the, the way the format sometimes information is given to you doesn't match with the way you need to take in information. Yes. And so what I've been watching with him is he can get an answer in math, like nobody's business, but he's struggling to tell me how. And that's common with gifted kids. And so we've been working out, but what I found is he's doing it different than he's being taught and he thinks it's wrong. And it's like, oh, no, baby, there are so many methods for this, like so many. And so that's what I've tried to explain to him. And that's how we work through frustrations because he sucks at perseverance. He hits a frustration wall and gives up and cries. Game over, especially with art. It's a nightmare. And I realized that having a kid is the best mirror to yourself because I've been the same way my whole life. And so this has been fun for us to go through and go, okay, you're frustrated. Take a breath. Let's figure out why. But he's figuring out that his brain are just not roads out. he's figuring out now that like his brain isn't bad yeah it's just different and that's like he's a really sensitive kid he's very emotional and like I'm gonna get a little woo-woo but whatever I think in this this new age that we're into right now like there's the guru I follow who says that emotional sensitivity is like the new form of intelligence yeah. and I really think it is and I think I mean, I'll get up on my tangent right now. I think that's a big problem with the quote unquote toxic masculinity. It's, it's, it's not all the things necessarily everyone's talking about. I mean, it is, but I think a big component is that men have never been encouraged to do their own emotional labor. Uh Women have always done it for them. My son is doing it. He's learning how to do it. And I'm going to tell you, I know now why people didn't teach their kids to do this because it's fucking hard. It is I feel like I'm just vomiting up all of my biggest emotions all day, every day with him. And I'm like, I go to bed completely drained, but I'm hopefully creating a human that not only can deal with his emotions, but sees his emotional sensitivity as his superpower. Yes. I love that. That's like, as you're speaking, I'm just earlier when you're talking about like, they didn't catch that his three years were backwards. I just immediately thought smaller class sizes. Yes. How are you going to see those things and help those people? And then I just love that idea of like, sort of, I would think of it like problem solving. So yes. you're talking about like, there's only one way to answer this problem in my art class. I am, I'm not the best teacher or anything, but in my art class, we, I don't know why I just slipped in that self-deprecating thing, by the way. So I yeah, you were a very good teacher. On. <laughs> I'm just, I don't want to come off as like, Oh, this is the way of the light. But in my classroom, I'm very big into here's our problem. You get to choose how to solve it. Right. And it's then I several ways to choose how to solve the visual problem. And then I let them, and then I have to go around and celebrate all the different ways that they're. Right. And I'm just like, wow, I never even see that way. And you did. But the math that, that celebrated, but math is art. 
like everything is art. Do you see what I'm saying? And so I wish, I wish math teachers and engineering teachers and everybody else yes. could take that mentality and go, okay, yeah, there's, there's all these different paths and yes, you made a mistake, but that doesn't mean your path was bad. It just means you need to think about it differently. I grew up with an engineer as a father who didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. None of my, most of my family didn't go to college. Um, but my dad got, was my dad's brilliant, genuinely, like he's an inventor. Um, and I went to work for him when I started <laughs> building and designing ice bending machines in 2006-ish. He had gotten a, a patent for an invention for an ice bending machine. And he knew that my bartending job was coming to a close and I needed a gig. And so I was homeschooling my brother. So he said, why don't after in the afternoons come out to the factory and I'll teach you how to do this. And I laughed like, dad, like I don't know how to wire anything. Yeah. I, like I made a potato lamp in 10th grade. <laughs> And, uh, and he's like, nah, it's fine. And my dad and I, I've been really close. Like my dad raised me. Um, we're pretty close, but he's never been the best teacher for me. Like I thought we were going to kill each other when he taught me how to drive. He, were, he refused to teach me how to drive without a beer on the dashboard. If that tells you anything. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I was nervous because I was like, this shit's expensive. Like these motors are $1,300. You know what I mean? And my dad told me on that first day, he goes, there's nothing you can screw up that we can't fix. That changed my life. And I was a grown up at that point. I was 23 and I'd never been told that in my entire life ever. And that unlocked a permission in me because if it's that way here, it's probably that way in most places. And the reality is everything in life is that way. There are very few things that you can screw up so badly that you can't be fixed. Well, that's what in my art class, I'm always constantly telling the kids. And I even, I had to do this like formality interview at work today to like get rehired for the next year. And I went off about this. I was just like, art is problem solving and it extends into every area in school and emotional learning and all of it. And I'm just like, you have to learn how to fail and it's okay because it's just one step towards your success. And you have to learn how to find different ways to solve problems. You know, I think it's, when I taught gen ed a few years ago and I had to go to therapy and I had a big mental breakdown yeah. me and all this, I was teaching math at the time and I would take so long to teach math because we'd have one problem up there and I'd say, okay, here's one way to solve it. Here's another way. And I'd show them five ways to solve it. And then I'd ask kids to come up and show me how they solved it. And I yeah. would encourage that everyone solved it in a different way. And You're it was an art teacher, man. Mess. <laughs> But I got in trouble for it. And like the school did not like it. My administrators did not support it. And it was like, you're not sticking to the schedule. You're not getting far enough. You're not where you should be in the curriculum because I would take so long to do math in this way. And it led to kind of my failure as a gen ed teacher, which makes me really sad. But if you had been in a different place, it could have been seen as a strength. A hundred percent. But that's like my biggest thing in education is art, math writing, language arts, all of it, they're literally all just little problems and we need to figure out how to solve them in whatever way works for us. It's, it's all the same shit and they're, they're not even things to learn, right? Like I, they're not things to learn. They're, they're mechanisms to help you figure out your brain. Just like our coping mechanisms to deal with the pandemic happening right well, now. Like it's okay. not some formula that you're memorizing. That's not what meditation or yoga or forest bathing or any of it is. It's these mechanisms, like you're saying, to function in the world. And that's the same as this problem solving. 
our mission in life is to solve us. Like we're, we are ourselves are the problem we're trying to solve in this lifetime. And there's so many mechanisms to use it and it all gets covered up. I have to pee again. No, it's fine. <laughs> I'm in my life. Ah. I'll be right back. Yeah, it's fine. I am playing with a finger fidget thing. <laughs> that sounds weird. I have these little metal things that are like coils and you can rub them on your fingers and it, um, it's, it's a fidget. And it, mine just like bounced off somewhere, right? As Laura left to go use the restroom, I was like, where did it go? What's happening? And then when Laura was talking, we were talking about all this problem solving stuff. I went, and I realized that might sound weird in the microphone. And also when I did it then, and just now my cat who's sitting right next to me, every time he's just like, Bleh! and flinches really hard. So I'm enjoying that. <laughs> Anyways. I'm loving this talk. I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that I wrote up this long list of things to talk about. And we've talked about two of them, maybe one of them, but I'm totally okay with that. I told Laura that I'm like, we might not get to these topics and it's okay. And we'll just kind of follow our schedule and see how far we get. But I'm glad you're still listening. And here comes Laura. Perfect timing. I'd like to point out that her hair is beautiful and curly. And that was one of the topics I wanted to talk about. <laughs> I can't hear you yet. Now you can hear me. Now I can hear you. <laughs> what did you I want to talk about? I lost my fidget. I was playing with all oh, my no. and it flew somewhere. I don't know where it went. I'm going to give you like full disclosure. I am like, I sweat to death every time I get on Zoom. Oh, like, really? like nervous, ridiculous sweat. It makes no sense. I have to, I, every webinar I ever led, which was like always trying to talk to women about adventures that could go on. I would literally just be stinking and drenched afterwards. Every I time. Zoom though for this. I did. I told you I did this job interview thing earlier. I had a blanket wrapped around my lap. I was playing with my little fidget, and like I can't do that in real life. So like no, you so better sweat it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, what did you? I, what did you? What, what did you want to talk about? Did you want to talk about curly stuff yet? Oh, I just was saying that your hair in this video um, looks beautiful. And I know that we're both dealing with like the devastation of diva curl right now. Can we, can we give a collective fuck you diva curl? Because right. uh, you can't hear this audience, but I'm flipping the <laughs> camera off. We both are. Fuck flipping you diva curl. Yeah. I, yeah. do you know what's weird? So for people who don't know, diva curl is a, probably the most popular curl brand in the world or was one of them for sure. One of them for sure. And I, I don't know. That's just, there's curl salons, which I still love because they still give a good cut. Look, the diva cut method. Yes. And the styling method. The styling method is not bad. It's the right. product. It's the product. So both of us had been using this product. It's a professional product and you pay money and it's from professionals. Like six years? A certain caliber of good product. And I've been using it for years. And over the last year, I've noticed that my hair was receding on one side, especially and like it was measurable. Yeah, we're both up. Same. I've got this whole like peak right here. Me too. These giant peaks. Mm -hmm. And I was taking pictures throughout the months going, what's happening to my hair? And when I was much younger, I had a similar thing happen and it was from stress, I think. And so mm -hmm. I thought it must be that. And then I thought it must be hormones. I went to the doctor. I went to an endocrinologist. I was like, what's happening to my hair? <laughs> and then one day I went to pick up my Diva Curl product and the cashier at the place was like, um, did you like see those videos about diva curl? And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And he was like, yeah, it like makes your hair fall out. And I was like, what? And so I immediately got online and watched a few videos and was like, that's what's happening to my hair. And I didn't connect it because I just never assumed that this professional product 
would do that to my hair. Um, I had a similar, I had a similar situation. I started getting, so I've had, you know, how old are you, Laura? 33. Yeah. Okay. So you experienced curly hair in the nineties. Yes. Yeah. Me too. Um, it was a nightmare. My, I, I feel like I can't talk about this without at least explaining a little bit that I have hair trauma. Like yes. legitimate. Hair I like trauma. wrote on my list diva curl, but then I also like wanted to talk about just having curly hair as a because <sighs> it's it's a whole thing. And it was an even wholer thing in the nineties. Yes. So when I was Bunchy. seven years old, my hair turned curly. Mine when I hit puberty. Mine yeah, it's great and blonde before puberty. It's different for everybody, but the only part of my hair that went curly was the top of my head. <laughs> Okay, and I've actually seen a picture you've posted online, yeah. and it was glorious. Oh, it is an art, oh. really. So my parents at that point thought, hmm, let's give her bangs. <gasps> so most of the pictures from 10 years old look like I have a loofah sitting on my head. No shit. It looks like a literal blonde loofah on a mop of blonde hair. Um, and then by middle school, in middle school, I went from a country school because I grew up on a tobacco and cotton farm in southwest Georgia about 30 minutes from the nearest city. And so in fifth grade, I graduated elementary school and they shipped us off to the city school. And that's when I turned into a fucking weirdo. <laughs> uh, Cause I'd always been normal in the country, but when you get around a different crowd of people, right? Small yeah. fish, big pond, those kind of things. Um, well, my hair was different and that made me stand out. And I was a loud mouth because I am outspoken about how I feel mm-hmm. always. Uh, I don't know how to be any other way. And that made me stick out more. And the fact that I came from a country school didn't help. So it set up the thing for me to get bullied, bullied really horribly. Um, bullied really horribly. Like people would blowed or something. Blowied. <laughs> I, was enjoying it. I did not get blown. Not once. Uh, <laughs> I think my, my dad actually counted on my hair as my birth control plan, if I'm being so. Oh. oh, I'm not kidding. They all, like my whole family made fun of me. Um, in eighth grade that summer, my mom and grandma took me to an African-American salon, which was the majority of our salons in our town. And they met this guy who was the first trans person I ever met, by the way. I now recognize that. And it, he changed my life in the best way possible right then. I had the smoothest hair. They put relaxer on it and it smoothed my hair out. And I had normal people hair and it was the best three weeks of my life. And then it came time to do it again, and the hair at the top of my head burned off. <gasps> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just to recap, I was now starting ninth grade at the big school with 4,000 students. Which is hard enough on its own. Mm-hmm. I had no chest, no breast development of any kind. I had a mouthful of metal and not just braces, but like the bars on the side of the mouth on the inside too. And now I had a shaved head with about mm, an inch and a half of curly Brillo pad hair on top. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can give you a picture if you want to make it the thumbnail for this episode. (laughs) Uh, I would thoroughly enjoy that. It's pretty great. Um, thoroughly enjoy that. So if finally, by, by my senior year, I, I, I was considered a weirdo and I really embraced it for a long time. And I was very much like, I'm weird. Fuck you. And <laughs> it didn't serve me super well. Uh, but my senior year, I was like, I was, I had normal curly hair, normal curly hair. I was a part of, I was captain of the debate team. I was in theater, you know, like I was not popular, but 
people didn't like throw things at me anymore. Um, so then when we moved out to Utah, like I had, I'd been dealing with curly hair and you just use the shitty can of mousse from the store. You get by with what you get by with. And yet you, you, mousse. you never know if you're going to have a good hair day. 100%. And so I moved to Utah and that's when I found the curl salon in Salt Lake. And I found, uh, Max. I'm going to name check him cause he changed my life. There? I don't know. I haven't, I mean, kind so of I, went been to, a, I went to a girl there and, and then she left and then I went to another one and she left. And so I was kind of like, okay, but if Max is still there, Max is amazing. He is, he's one of the only dudes there with like really curly hair. He, he took three hours to cut my hair every time he had cut it. And because it's that sculpting. And let me just tell you the first time I go to the salon, like, first of all, it was in their old location in Salt Lake before they moved um, off of fourth or wherever they are now. But he, um, I walked in and I sit down and literally every stylist has curly hair and naturally curly hair, not just like barrel roll curly hair. Right. Sorry. My cat just farted and I'm going <laughs> to so bad. So bad. I'm like, sit- it's growing in strength. Oh my Wait. God. You can't shame your cat. Don't fart shame. <laughs> it's in my mouth. <laughs> it's so bad though. I'm really glad I'm here. Oh, Jesus. Okay, sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt it's you. Okay. Everyone okay. had curly hair. <laughs> Take some breaths. Drink some water. It's so okay. I, go, I go in the salon and everybody has curly hair. But here's the bigger thing. And you'll appreciate this. Every woman that walked out of that salon left with their natural curls. And I was like almost in tears before I even got my hair cut. Because I, they always want to straighten it. They always want to straighten yes, it because they don't yeah. know what to do. They don't know what to do. I'll call and I'll say, hey, do you know how to cut curly hair? Oh, yeah, I can totally cut curly hair. Great. Can you cut it dry? Uh, I mean, I guess I can cut it dry. Okay. And you go, I keep knocking these damn things out. <laughs> I talk with my hands too much. Sorry. So you go and you're like, okay, fine. I have to have a haircut. Whatever. It'll be fine. Yeah. And then at the end, they're like, oh, did you want me to straighten it? No, I, I you know, they call it style it. Do you want yeah. me to style it? But you and know it, what that means. It means they put the heat on it. And I'm like, yeah. no, I'm good. And every time you could just see the fear in their eyes the second you say no, and you're like, fuck it, just straighten it. Just just do it. I'll get home and watch it because I don't trust you right now. And so when I found him, it, dude, that was a game changer. Yes. And then the Diva Curl products, I was like, that was the first time I'd ever bought professional products for my hair, really, you know, because I'm not, like, I'm pretty budget conscious, and that shit is expensive. I have a loophole I can tell you about in a minute. I, oh, I, I'm a, I remember your loophole. <laughs> I'm jealous. But yeah, you get it. And, it, and it's, you're talking $55 for the bottle with the pot. Yeah. And so... I started using Diva Curl exclusively, and uh, I mean, the compliments I get on my hair were just insane, mm-hmm. right? Since I had my son, I've, I've lost a little bit of hair after I have him, which is normal because you build up all the extra hair when you're pregnant. But I guess it was probably, so we've been in Boise four years, so I had been losing my hair for a while since you moved to Boise. Mm-hmm. And I started, yeah, because I went to see my, a gynecologist like the first two weeks we moved here because I needed my prescription. And this was the gynecologist I literally got dressed in front of and walked out. I was like, give me my prescription. I'm, I won't talk yeah. to you. She's the one that told me that I should never consider an IUD. Um, oh. she's also, she told me that PCOS was undiagnosable and that even if it was diagnosable, an IUD wouldn't help it anyway. This is like a whole other thing where I'm like, uh, let's talk oh, yeah. about gynecologist experience oh, for an holy, episode. 
Seriously. So how about I, having like an old white dude again with the whiteness, an old white dude, tell me I'm a slut because I'm sexually active. Yeah. Anyway, kick him in the dick. Like, like uh, bye. Oh, it's the worst. So, yeah. so I wound up flash forward to, I guess August will be two years that um, I got an IUD and I was like, great. This is going to help. I talked to my, I found a new doctor and she was like, oh no, this like an IUD is going to be perfect for you. Like literally, why would you not consider this? Especially because I was in the outdoor industry a lot. Um, so I was going on long trips. Yeah. And so it was great. And I thought, okay, this is going to solve everything. And it helped a lot. Don't get me wrong. Highly, highly, highly recommend looking into an IUD if you're the type that's interested. I've got one. Oh, it's the best thing I've ever spent money on. Although the process sucked, it was worth it. Um, yeah. But my hair didn't stop falling out. Yeah. And so I was confused. I'm like, I thought this was the problem. I did all this research. And that's when, I guess a few months ago is when I saw those videos and I stopped and I it just, it was all I could do to not smash my face through the wall. I was just furious because you start thinking of the money because you had a loophole, so you got it cheaper. But no. Husband, twice as much as you probably because I paid full price, but either way, it's so much money and so much time. So much and how money. many people did I proselytize to? Oh, me too. Diva curl this. It's changed my life. And I had to literally send emails out to people. I was like, I am really sorry. I just need you to know. I, I didn't know this was happening. It's affected me. Um, so how long have you been off of Diva curl now? Um, oh, I don't even know. Maybe like two months. I was bad because I had so much product left. And I was like, I don't, I know it's making my hair fall out, but it's so expensive. And I, it's like, it makes my hair look so good still sometimes. I was so mad but because even though that guy was like, have you seen those videos? I still bought a bottle of stuff. <laughs> and I was, and then I get home and I'm like, I literally can't use this. I ended up, so I feel like I'm worse in a way. I gave it to somebody. <laughs> But like, I gave them a full warning. I, I went on Facebook and said, Hey, I'm using this. I don't know if it affects everyone, but it's made my hair kind of fall out. Does anyone want this? And then I had a friend who said that stuff's life-changing and I love it. And so she said she'd take it, but she was, she was like, what if it's going to mess up my hair? And she was like, well, maybe I'll just use it up and then not use it. And, but I was like, I just can't use it because I know that I have the symptoms. Like I know yeah. that my hair is falling out and that this is why. So I'm like, but if you're not seeing symptoms, then you choose that. But I gave it away. But it was so much. And I was so angry. And I'm still trying to kind of figure out what products to use. Yeah, me too. I, right now, I'm using the crappy, cheap stuff from the store because, like, I don't have time to go look at any. There's, yeah. You can't go shop anywhere. And I, I don't know. It's also, it's expensive. And I've kind of gotten used to using, I use the purple Aussie uh, moisturizer. And then I'm using the $5 Tresemme can of mousse. It's not. It's not perfect, but Diva Curl erased my curls. My hair stopped being as curly. the The thinness here, like in the back, is just bald spots underneath the top layer. That, and it's like, how it's the just, fuck did I not realize this was happening? No, that's how I feel too. It's like, how did I not connect that? But it just in my mind, it was like obviously it's hormonal. Obviously, it's obviously. Well, because you know, and I mean, well, again, a whole other soapbox. But we're we're taught that our hormones control us far more than they do. We we give way more credence to our hormones, and we could actually 
I believe, in a lot of ways, control our hormones sometimes, way more than we think we can. Our bodies are a lot more resilient than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. Like, they balance themselves out and they take care of us a lot more than we want to think. Yeah, Uh, and because we don't, like, we don't, we don't trust our intuition. We don't trust our bodies as much. We think it has to come from outside because we can't believe that something like that could come from ourselves. Well, circle back. That's kind of the point of intuitive eating. Yeah. Um, It's this idea of trusting yourself, not a bunch of diets and trusting what your body needs. And like people's bodies need different things. I always think of this example. So like, I don't listen to Joe Rogan religiously, but there are some really life-changing great. Oh, I listen to him sometimes too. Yeah, Yeah. He's great. There was this episode, I don't remember who it is, but there was this husband and wife scientist team and they were talking about how they would eat the same exact food, amount, food, type, carb, everything. And then they would do these blood tests on themselves and then they'd look at the data and it would be completely different. So it's like the husband, if he ate carbs, his body would like go into a comatose state or some shit. And if the wife ate carbs, she like had energy and like her blood levels were up. And she, I don't know how to say all the scientific terms, yeah. but like it sucked for him and it was good for her. And they ate the exact same food. And well, they I mean, kind of did this experiment for a year. And I always think of that. I'm like, you can't tell everybody to stop eating something or start, you know, or like I'm allergic to bell peppers, the worst allergy on the planet, especially as everything has bell peppers. I'm allergic to bell peppers. They make me very sick and it's been that way since I was a kid. My mom and my grandma are the same way and I can't eat bell peppers. And, and so bell peppers are so healthy for you. So it's like, I don't know. Well, I found out that I actually have an eating disorder. Oh, interesting. That my thing with vegetables my whole life uh, was not just an aversion. It's technically an eating disorder. And I'm wait, I know about your thing with vegetables, but people don't know. That's true. Okay. So it's always so weird to explain because like nobody likes vegetables, right? Well, I can't. I like vegetables. Um, And who's fat? This is so unfair. Go on. This is 30. I'm 36 years old and I have never successfully eaten a bite of salad. I throw up every time. Um, I want to eat it. I look at it. It looks really good. It looks like it's going to nourish my body and give me all that fiber. Mm -mm. Every time Bark City. And, um, there's a lot going on with it. Like I know for a long time I made the joke of like, I don't know if like my dad beat me with a head of lettuce as a kid and I just don't remember it or what the deal is, but the episode of the office where, where <laughs> Michael's shoving the broccoli into Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. But what I'm, what I'm finding out is, um, there was a lot of psychological elements at play with it, with my dad. And Furthermore, I think what we're figuring out is like, I've got a super sensitive palate and thing, green things. I just, they taste greener to me than a lot of people. And, uh, I, because of my gag and the taste reflex, I can't make myself eat it the way everybody's like, nobody likes it. Just eat it anyway. I, I think I was also a bit of a drama queen as a kid. And that kind of created some kind of loop for me of like being dramatic about stuff and, it's created a whole bunch of trauma. And so we're working on getting it diagnosed and getting a therapist. Um, but I've started looking into like what that therapy looks like. And how oh, interesting that I, I, I have, so I have two brothers that are autistic and a big part of autism can often be different yes. disorders. Yeah. And so like, I know my older brother, he is very like, he wants to eat chicken nuggets, you know what I mean? And like yep. very little else. And and so I've always had that like different perspective of sometimes I'm annoyed by picky eaters because it's a different thing. 
Yeah. But I also look at different people and I'm like, oh, that's an eating disorder. Or like my father, um, before he died, his last few years, he had eating disorders because he he wasn't able to drive anymore. He he had lost all of this control in his life. Like he didn't have work. Yeah. And so he turned to like being hyper controlling about what he ate. And he'd like be like, I will only eat Arby's BLTs for a month and nothing else. And he was diabetic and he'd be like, or I will starve myself and die. So wow. I have this different perspective about that yeah. kind of stuff, I think. But being a picky eater sucks, especially when you're in yeah. the travel industry. Like when I went to Morocco, I did a 17 day trip to Morocco that I led. And I actually, this time last year and, uh, it I'm was loving your posts about it, by the way. Have you? I so them all and I love them all. That makes me happy. So uh, what Laura's talking about is I, I worked for an, um, outdoor adventure company. I ran an outdoor adventure company for women. It's so hard for me to say, like I ran that company cause it wasn't my company, but I was running it. Um, and so one of the perks is I get to leave this trip to Morocco and it was great. I loved it. Don't get me wrong. Life-changing experience. So happy it went. But while it was going, I couldn't really be as honest about it as I wanted to. So I've been going through this very cathartic experience the past two weeks of revisiting each day and being really as honest as I possibly can about it. Um, it and it's helping about tagines that I'm really curious. <laughs> look, okay, look, I just want to get it out of the way. Tagine is great. I know it is the dish of Morocco. I, I, I get it. I, God, I don't want to insult anybody because it's like the whole country eats tagine every day. We ate it at least once a day, every day, maybe sometimes twice a day. I'm not kidding. And it was, it's a stew. If you don't know what a tagine is, it's a, it's, it's um, a dish, but also a pot. So it's the name of the pot and the, the dish that's cooked in it. It's called the same thing. And it's, it's kind of like a tandoori. So it's, it's cylindrical, but also pyramid-like. Yeah. It's like a little yeah. teepee on top of a shallow bowl. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so it's, it's basically a stew that's cooked in it. It can be meat, it can be vegetarian. Um, and it's they have vegetarian to- ones. Yeah, they did actually. I'm always worried. Like, I'd love to travel to some parts of the world like that, but I'm like, do they? That's a big consideration. It's like, well, let's talk about that. But we had two vegan. We had one vegan and one vegetarian on the trip, and by the end of it, they were both very sick. Um, I believe that they were slowly being poisoned by meat juice the entire time. Yeah, that's that's what I think. think Like, maybe if I traveled to a certain place, I would eat fish or you know what I mean if that's there but I don't know it's a thing it's it's something you definitely want to look into and in one I will say one thing you know everybody is very picky about how they travel nowadays and I love Anthony Bourdain don't get me wrong one of the things he did though that I think was a little damaging was he made people feel bad about the the way they travel um don't be a tourist be a traveler or whatever be what you want to be, be ethical about it, do it the way you want to do it, do it the way that's right for you. Fuck anybody else that tells you otherwise. I did a group tour. We were on a bus in Morocco. It was fucking awesome. Is it, is it better or worse than the person that backpacks in Morocco? Absolutely not. It's just a totally different situation. And I get, I don't like adventure. I really don't like adventure. (laughs) Um, I I really like what you're saying right now. Yeah. It's, it's Amy Poehler wrote this amazing book called Yes, Please. Uh, if you haven't read it, I really recommend the audiobook. I um, love Amy Poehler. So me too. This, this book is so good. I read it right before I left Ogden, actually, but she has this phrase in it that really stuck with me. Um, she was talking about the fact that she had to have a nanny to help her with her kids and the shame that she felt for hiring a nanny. And she wound up saying, you know, fuck you. Like, this is my life. This is my village for raising my kid. And she used this phrase, uh, good for you, not for me. 
Yeah. And it's a super easy thing to say once you're confronted with someone that makes a decision that's different than you that you would normally make. You know, the, the first thought we have is not our instinct. The first thought we have is the societally ingrained thought that's been put on us. So the first thought is not necessarily the things we should be saying out loud, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. I think, uh, I think that's important. So the tagine was good. It has carrots. It has potatoes. It has different things in it. Sometimes chicken, preserved lemons. It's delicious. First one I had rocked my world. I was like, this is going to be fucking awesome. By day 12, it was anything I could do to find anything else. Uh, the, we, we went, the last day was supposed to be mountain biking. And I was so excited because I love mountain biking and mountain biking was really hard for me to do. I was really afraid of it for a long time. And I finally did it and I planned this trip and the guides we had were the worst people. They were the ultimate outdoor bros, but they were Moroccan. And so they had the added benefit of being able to laugh at us in their own languages, um, which really sucked. And they did. They took full advantage of that. And at the end, when I finally pulled the plug, because they put us in a really unsafe situation, I was like, we're done here. And they're like, but what about the tagine? I swear to God, my head was just like, somebody else is fucking tagine to me. And I just looked and I said, no one else wants to eat another tagine today. Cancel it. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I don't want to insult the entire country, but like, it's been 12 days of this. And so that last day, we're all going like, this can't be how the country eats. There has to be something we've missed. Something else. No, that's really what the people eat there. Is a lot of tagine and couscous. And and I could be I could be very wrong, but from the people I've talked to, um, one of the girls on our trip, for example, she met a bellhop the third night of our trip and is now engaged to him. What? It's amazing. And wow. she went. She's been back twice now. And she's like, no, nah, they really eat a lot of tagine. Oh my goodness. So it was back to that last day when that fell through. We all went and found there was a Italian place next to our hotel. And we all ordered just giant pizzas and just went yes. to town. And I ordered a chocolate shake as big as my head. It was it was great. But like having an eating disorder, or I wouldn't even say eating disorder, but just eating things, like things like vegetarianism, vegan, whatever it is, that's on you, boo. It's hard, but a group tour can make it a lot easier. Our group leader she did everything within her power to make sure they got the right thing. Yeah. Short of cook it herself. That's but right. that's one benefit from going on a group tour like that. So it was fun to travel. Um, the worst part is when you're in a family's home and they serve you food that you don't like. Yeah. That's, that's something I think about is in it's a situation hard. like that. Would I eat meat? I think about that all the time, but I don't know. And it's tricky and everybody's going to answer for it themselves. But yeah. uh you know, you also like, you learn to laugh at it and you just learn to like, I'm sorry, this is who I am. This is a thing I have about me. I hope you can accept it. And it's, it's an act of being vulnerable. Well, I mean, I haven't eaten uh, meat in like four years or so. Yeah. I remember when you first quit. Yeah. That was, it's like the second or third time I've been a vegetarian in my life. Yeah. Probably the longest time I've been one, but I, I still feel very flexible. Like if I go to a restaurant, I'm not going to be like, is there lard in these beans? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, sometimes I'm like, I'm just not going to worry about that. But, and I think about traveling, I think I'd be willing to be a little bit flexible with some things. Like even Dennis went to Iceland a few years yeah. ago and the, there was like this, he would tell it so much better, but there was this, these hot dogs. That yeah. It's a big thing in Iceland. Yeah. Like, and he, he would talk about how the, there weren't really a lot of restaurant options. So he cooked for himself mostly, 
but there was this like food truck with hot dogs and the line went down the block. And then one night he came out of this bar and it was like two in the morning and he was like drunk and there was no line. And he was like, I'm going to eat one of those hot dogs. And he describes it. And he was like, and it was the first time he had meat in like 15 years. Wow. And, but he didn't feel bad about it. He was just like, I'm experiencing this thing in this place and it's, it's the right time and place for me to do this. And yeah. Well, kudos to him for giving him the, himself the flexibility to do that. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people get locked. We get locked into our beliefs with the capital P the church of veganism. Yeah. And it's like, and you know, each their own, like, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I worry because that's all I want to do is travel. That's, I mean, that's all anybody wants to do. Right. Yeah. But like, my son and I have this plan of we're going to save up our money and travel the world eating noodles from every culture. I noodles, yes. Because noodles is what I'm here for, right? But like, there's so many places I want to go, and I have to genuinely think like, I, I, I can I do they have Pringles? Because I survived off a lot of Pringles in Morocco because it was like you know a lot of driving. My sister um, went in Holland for um, a year or two. And her and her American friends would go to Subway because that was the only yeah. place where it tasted American. Oh, you like, just get so homesick, man. You do. When I go to McDonald's in- and it tastes Dutch. The meat tastes Dutch. And I don't know how to explain it unless you've had it. But like the Subway just tasted like Subway. Yeah. So when I went to Germany, I was 19. I lived in Germany for a summer by myself I were, I, with a family. Um, I worked for a German engineering firm. It wasn't like a study abroad thing. And I lived with a family and I didn't like the food much. Schnitzel. It was, it was pretty awkward. I like schnitzel, but she would make like lasagna that had some kind of green cheese in it. And I don't really like cheese a whole bunch anyways. I know I'm a weirdo. I know. No, but there's so many layers. There's so I many know, layers. so many layers. And so you just, you learn to like trick people like with how you move your, your fork and your knife around um, to make them think that you've eaten so that you can go then eat gummy bears in your room. Yes. Um, but yeah, the, I remember that last, one of the last days of that trip just being like, I'm finding a Burger King. And I was just like, I'm so glad you remember this Burger King. But when we left, so I changed my flight on the last day of my Morocco trip because I was going to do this crazy layover because I was cheap. And on the last day, I was like, fuck this. I can get a flight to Madrid and I'll have an easy shot home. And two of the other girls were going anyways. And we were going to actually land at the same time, two of us. So I was like, fuck this. So we go, we get a hotel. I'm in Madrid by like, it wasn't supposed to be in Spain, but here I am in Spain. Cool. What's really cool is that my husband had been, God, 10, 15 years before me, because my husband's a lot older than me. He's 47. I'm 36. He he had been with an ex-girlfriend to Madrid and Morocco. They went on this trip. And so this kind of, it was this really neat connection to my husband every step of the way of going to places he had been, albeit with another woman, but it was still really like a connection. So I get to Madrid, we get checked in and we find out it's, it's the high holy week. And so the terror alert is like, had just been raised. Like as we get into Morocco, I wound up leaving, uh, leaving Madrid. I got like searched, like nobody's business. It was terrifying. But we find out that the famous muse, one of the famous museums in Madrid, which is the Reina Sofia was free that day. And there's a place she didn't want to go in. So she was going to go have wine. And I went through this museum, which is, yeah. has um, Picasso's famous Guernica painting. Uh-huh. And I got to see it in person. And I had like an hour to just run full speed through this museum. It was great. So I met up with Courtney and we're in this wine bar. And I, I quit drinking. Gosh, it's been, I think July will be three years now. That oh, wow. I quit yeah. Well, it wasn't like a teetotal thing. I have a drink now and again. It wasn't because it didn't stem from an addiction. It stemmed yeah. from anxiety. That's why I quit because my self-loathing thoughts would be too bad. 
So I'm, I'm to the point now, I think in two, almost three years, I've had seven drinks. Wow. And it's been amazing for me. So I was going to have a glass of wine in Madrid <laughs> and I ordered a steak as big as my face. I was going to say Madrid, you went there for the meat. <laughs> the meat. And I know like, I'm sorry, you're a vegetarian and all that. No, I have no issues with people talking. I remember how delicious bacon is. But so. you know what, for me, it wasn't even the fact that it was meat. It was salt. They yes. had salt. Moroccans they love salt. salt and stuff. Moroccans put salt on lemon to preserve it. And then they cook with preserved lemon. They don't add a lot of salt to stuff. So I got to Madrid and they had like, just, it was just potatoes and steak. And I was, I had, there's a picture of me just like crying because the salt tasted so good. You're making and that was really hungry. My, I'm, I think I'm getting hungry too. So, but I get home and I'm telling Rob this and he goes, Oh my God, Laura, it's so funny. When we got to Madrid from Morocco, the first thing we did is I found a Burger King and I bought a hamburger and I sat on the sidewalk crying, eating my hamburger. So I was like, oh yeah, that's goodness. Yeah. It was kind of a funny, funny thing. Um, but yeah, the ham and stuff in Madrid was awesome, but 18 hours, not enough, not enough. Um, something else we were going to talk about. Well, I was looking at my list. We've been talking for two hours. <laughs> oh yeah, we have. <laughs> but, um, oh, I have a question. It and it feels natural. You have a question. Yeah. yeah. Because you put on, you sent me your list. Yes. And there's something at the bottom that says apology. Oh, <laughs> and I, I, I have questions. <laughs> so yeah, I'm seeing it now. So one of the things when thinking about having a podcast, one of the ideas I had was an entire podcast that each episode would be me apologizing for something different. Okay. Okay. I have to stop you right here because I love this idea. I heard it on your first episode, but have, are you familiar with the show called I'm Sorry? No. Uh, one of my favorite female actors, uh, Andrea Savage, it's her show. She wrote it. It's a female written show. It's on Netflix. You should watch it. But that's like the whole premise is she does something so outrageous or ridiculous every show and winds up having to say, I'm sorry. And it's, uh, you should watch it. It's worth watching. It made me think of well, you. I think you do it. Mine was more like I would be having discussions with friends or I'd think about times that I had done something wrong and I wish oh. I could apologize. So like one, like race comes up a lot. Like, yeah. um, this is a whole episode where I'm like, I kind of am tempted. I think I know someone that I'm going to call and talk to them about it because they were involved, but I was accidentally being racist towards somebody for like a year oh, and, no. and I didn't realize I was doing it. And then one day I was listening to something or reading an article about um, white privilege or race and I, it just clicked and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm being totally racist towards this person that I really like. And I had no idea that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of planted this seed, this idea. And that, so that was kind of my angle is I'm going to apologize. But then when I got down to it, okay, what do I really want my podcast to be about? It was like, I'm not good at picking one thing in life. Like with my art, I'm not an oil painter. I'm not a stamp maker. I'm an everythinger. Like I yeah, just like make yeah. art and I just want to follow my whim. And I feel that way about my podcast. I think it's great. Why box yourself in? You don't yeah. have to. There's no rules about this. Yeah. And so that's why I thought I could have some episodes where it's just me. I can have some episodes where I talk to somebody. But I, I started thinking, well, what if I had segments for these yeah. other ideas? So rather than a whole apology of podcast, it would be a segment. Um, so that's just kind of the background on that. But so I was like, well, what would the apology be for this week? And my apology would be, sorry, I pooped in the backyard. <laughs> 
I was afraid that you were saying that about my backyard. No. And I was going like, I was like, I lived in Ogden, which had no backyard. And I'm like, did she, did she take a shit in my parking lot? Like what? Did I go shit in your paved parking lot? No, (laughs) no. Um, And you know, most of my poop stories, they're adult ones. Like I had a friend reach out and say, oh, I have the best poop story. And then she was like, wait, I was a kid. Does that count? And I was like, well, I was thinking of adult poop stories. I liked your kid's story though. Yeah. I don't have an adult poop story, unfortunately. (laughs) But, but my, sorry, I pooped in your backyard. I did not poop in anyone's backyard as an adult. No. Okay. Um, I just was thinking about when I was little, um, when I'd play in the backyard my sister, we had talked about this. I should really have an episode where I talked to her about this, but we, I don't know if we were lazy or we just <laughs> didn't think anything of it, but we'd be like, well, I got to go. And we'd be out in the big backyard and I would just go poo or pee in the bushes. And like, to me, it just seemed, I mean, I was like I mean, seven or younger. Well, like, so like little boys pee outside all the time and people yeah. celebrate like, yeah. So, but when little girls do it, it's weird. It's your backyard. But, well, I think, but pee, but poop. Poop. But poop is different. But well, and um, there's two examples of it, I guess, where I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And one of the we moved a lot when I was a little uh, kid. I went to three different kindergartens. Oh wow! So, like we moved a lot, and just for work purposes or for whatever else with my parents. But there was one house where we had a tree house, and you'd climb up the rope, and there was a hole in the middle. And I was like five at the time or four, but I remember clearly thinking that was the toilet. And so I'd go over the hole of the tree house and I would poop and pee and I'd be alone. So no one would correct me. And I bet they thought it was the dog. We had a big dog named Ruffy. I named him or, you know, like, I, I don't know what they thought. I don't know what happened to this poop and pee. But when we moved, I was like, Oh, better go one last time. And my siblings were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I gotta, I'm going to use the tree house bathroom. And they were like, rope that we climb up and down. Cause I had used like the ladder and they were all using the rope that I pooped and peed down. Oh my God. This makes but me so happy. The other one was in the first grade. I lived in a town called, um, Petaluma in California. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh cool. And we, I'm just like, Oh cool. You know, and yeah, I had a friend that lived there for a long time earlier in the episode, you mentioned dachshunds. And I immediately thought of my house in Petaluma because we had a dachshund named George. Oh, you said that off the podcast, right? Yeah. We had my neighbor's dogs are barking. Okay. We were talking about dachshunds, but I thought of Petaluma, but yeah, in Petaluma, we had our big backyard and I guess me and my sister, you know, I'm first grade. I, whatever, that's like six or seven years old. And I would do that. I would just pee and poo in the backyard when I, cause I didn't want to go in the house, you know? Yeah. I mean, and like- we came the ocean as a kid. On the last day that we moved, me and my sister both said to each other, like, let's go one last time. And we went in the backyard and took a shit in the bushes, both of us. And then we moved. And as, <laughs> as adults, we would talked about that. Like, I can't believe we're like seven and eight or nine. And we're just like, let's take a shit on this house and then leave. I like that you're like, like a sentimental shitter. I <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't even, we had a very free range childhood. We were very That's free awesome. in that way. I, I grew up playing in the woods or in yeah. the dirt lot behind the houses or wandering around in the forest. Like that was my childhood. I was very autistic though. I'd sit in my big backyard. I like hollowed out this big shrub and I'd sit in it alone all day and like dig up skinks. So that's freaking awesome. I didn't, you know, I just, I had a friend of mine interviewed me last week. He's doing his master's program um, on 
significant life experiences and, and kind of how they perpetuate more significant life experiences in your life. And that was my job was making significant life experiences for people. So he was interviewing me last week about it. And he, he sent me all these great questions beforehand. It was the first time I'd sat down. He was asking like, what significant life experiences that you had in your early childhood or in your early life would have led you to this job that you had? And it was so funny because I was like, fucking nothing. Like, yeah. like so I, I never had it. I was not outdoorsy. I did not have an outdoors person in my life. That was not like, I lived on a farm and I hated it. I would go out and pretend to dig up dinosaur bones, which were cow bones. And I would, I would always pretend to be Indiana Jones and interact with it in that way. But just the idea of like going outside, I had books and music, like, nah, I'm good. And so something just clicked with me in my early twenties where I kind of switched over. But even then in my early twenties, I had so many people that were like, you want to do what? And so I didn't do it. And so it wasn't until my thirties that I wound up doing something with it. You I know, but the opposite Really? I grew up, we would go camping for two weeks um, in the Redwoods in Richardson's Grove. We'd go two weeks. They had showers and things. Yeah. But I I kind of had a different relationship um, where in my family, they'd go off tubing the river and they'd leave me alone at camp because I didn't want to do that. So I'd wander around in the woods alone chasing squirrels for hours on end. And I- How did you feel about that? I look back at it now like, oh my God, I'm glad that like the, the marijuana gangs didn't kill me. Seriously, I just watched Murder Mountain. That's a thing where I grew up and I'm like, well, God, thank God, like no one kidnapped me or raped me or like, I just would wander around the woods and jump on logs and chase squirrels and. Without cell phones and your parents probably didn't leave you like water or anything. Nothing. I didn't have a water (laughs) bottle. Nobody had water bottles. We talk about this we talk about this all the time. My son rides his scooter just around our block. And I like, every time I'm like at the window, like, where is he? Where is he? And I'm not a super helicopter mom, but it's just such a, like, I think about my parents and the things like I got away with and they're just no clue where I was. No clue. And yeah, we, my son where he likes maps. And so we've been working on navigational skills. And so we've been kind of, when we walk our dog, we find this mural and we name it as a landmark. And so one of the games we'll play is he has a phone because that he uses on occasion. It's very seldom. And so I give him his phone. I said, okay, I'm going to the squirrel mural. Come find me. I'll text him when I get there. And then he has to put his phone in his pocket and try to remember where it is to come find me. I love that. And he uses his phone if he gets lost, but like it's in our neighborhood and there's no cars right now. And so it's been really fun and it's helping me kind of like loosen into the, the independence that the nine-year-old desperately needs. Right I don't know how I'll be because I don't have a kid, but I already plan on putting that kid on a leash when they're a toddler. I want to be that mom. Yeah. My kid is on a leash. I don't know how I'm going to be, but yeah, as a kid, we'd get on our bike and we'd ride our bike a mile out to these dirt lots by the yeah. Redwood forest. And we would just play all day. Like you no definitely one- are lucky you weren't killed. I watched Murder Mountain on Netflix. Like that's just no joke. <laughs> yeah, no, that was just my childhood. I just spent a lot of time alone in nature. Literally that's alone. so cool. So do you find yourself like craving that now? Well, what's interesting is I think, well, so we did all that, but then when I was a teenager, we moved to Utah and my mom didn't know how to interact with the outdoors there because it was this hot desert versus right. the redwoods totally get that and then she went back to work full-time and my father retired because he was disabled so we stopped doing outdoor things like completely do you feel like 
Do you feel like you recognize that shift that happened? Or do you feel like maybe you're just now kind of realizing that that was a shift? I didn't recognize it at the time. But when I got older a few years ago, I realized it. I I recognized when I looked at photos that I looked different. Because when I was younger, I was pudgy. But once we moved to Utah and I stopped doing all those things, it was like joyful movement things. It wasn't intentional jogging. But like stopped those things, I gained a lot of weight. And my life just shifted and changed. And I was pretty okay with it. Like I turned to books and indoor things. But do you feel like, I, I always wonder if there wasn't a part of you that was like, I don't know, my, I, I think a lot about like when kids find out about Santa or about unicorns. Yeah. And I think there's, there's, the, there's a little, I know trauma is an overused word, but I think in some ways there's like these tiny traumas we experience. And I would think oh. like that feeling that connection suddenly shifted for you would be difficult. I think a hundred percent. Um, but I was experiencing a lot of trauma when I moved to Utah, my dad was getting sicker and sicker and I was being told more more that he would die at any time. My mom went back to work and I was a teenager. And so our relationship shifted when my mom was 15, she experienced a trauma that I don't want to share on this podcast, but she still hasn't resolved it. She's never gone to therapy and it's really affected all of our lives. So when I became 15, our relationship really changed in a negative way and it's never really recovered. And I'm like yeah. saying this out loud as I'm realizing it. So it's a bit of an interesting thing for me, but like, so I had so many traumas happening in my life that it's hard for me to go, Oh, it's because I wasn't outdoors, but that certainly was part of it. Yeah. But in my church, we'd have girls camp every summer. Oh like, yeah. That's a big opportunities. thing. Yes. So yeah. I started, was still camping, but it wasn't the same and it wasn't the amount. It wasn't personal. And it wasn't personal. I wasn't allowed to like be out in nature alone. It wasn't the same as when I was a kid. Well, I would argue like based on Florence Williams book and other people out there, like the Miyazaki who did a lot of research on this, not the, not the filmmaker. Um, I I would argue that your, your personal connection was was interrupted with nature. Yeah. Well, that causes like anytime you have a personal connection with something that gets shut off, even in small ways, it builds up these walls. When I think it's interesting, when I think about the positive ways I interacted with nature, it involved a lot of stillness and a lot of observation and a lot of being alone. And then when I became a teenager, all of my outdoor interactions involved lots of other people, which I have a hard time with just on its own. It involved other people picking what we were doing in the outdoors, not me choosing. It didn't involve that stillness and that solitude. And then I look at, okay, then I went to college in Virginia. And I joined the outdoor club and there was, I had a big return to a lot of, I'm just like realizing this as I'm saying it out loud. I had a return to a lot of my solitude. I would go on trail running um, and hikes and walks alone all the time. I would go out and just sit in nature and be in nature, but I also joined the outdoor club. So I was also doing the like communal group outdoor things and hikes. It's very different. But I also had some like traumatizing outdoor experiences with that club. We went to the Smokies and I had like the worst night of my life because it was still snowy and cold and I was alone in a tent and my socks were wet and they like, oh. they got lost in a swamp with a bunch of mini horses. But obviously, obviously <laughs> I, should, I should add that to something to talk about. As you do time. in Virginia. But like, well, this was Tennessee, but oh my bad, my bad. But my socks were wet and I remember they froze solid over 
through the night. And I was, it was just such a traumatizing event for me. This one kid on that trip, he like was so cold because he also was in his own tent, which was terrifying to me, by the way, to be alone in the woods in my own tent. Oh, wow. But he went and he was so cold. He like slept in the latrine, like the porta potty. And in the morning I went in there and there were these giant tidy whities And I was like, who's that and where are these? And everybody knew it was him. And it was just, anyway, but then I moved, um, I moved back to Southern Utah and I made friends with all these outdoor people. And then it was like reintroduced to me once again, like the magic of the outdoors. And like, I was like, Oh, I didn't know that Southern Utah had outdoors, which sounds outlandish. Like, no, it doesn't. Of course. That's like the outdoor place of the planet, Mm -hmm. but But the culture, I didn't know because my mom didn't know like my family like that. I didn't know. And so when I met these people, the cats are fighting next to me. When I met these people who introduced all these beautiful things to me and it included a lot of group, but it included the solitude, the stillness, all those wonderful things, life changing. And it's just, but now I, I'm just thinking I've had outdoors throughout my adult years too. And I've gone on a lot of hikes and camping, but as I get older, I like it less. That's fair. That a lot of the outdoor experiences I've been having the last few years, we go with all of our friends and I'm overcome with, by my anxieties and my fears. I'm terrified of bears. I can't sleep a wink. I'm also afraid of fish. So when we go to the reservoir, like every Sunday, I'm just terrified of a tiger muskie getting me. Like, I don't know. Well, it's there, okay. So there, there, are a lot, there are a lot of accommodations that one can make for themselves in that yes. situation. Um, so look into them, you know, like the tents that go on your roof are great. Sleeping in a hard shell. Like when Montgomery and I go to the Tetons, we sleep inside of our truck and we've just rearranged it so that we can. There are ways to get around it, but it's also like, it's not a one size fits all thing. You don't have yeah. to like camping. You know what I mean? Like I, I had a community of between 50 and 60,000 women that I managed and helped plan events for and led events for. And there is no one event for everybody, but nature, like we see ourselves as when we go camping here in America, especially like we're going camping, I'm going into nature. Yeah. But that's bullshit. We are nature. Like I know that's all hippie, whatever, but like we, we no, literally are nature. So there is no disconnect. We are that. So however we're, we interact with it, we're interacting with it. There's no wrong thing, but I would say like, you should really, once all the shit settles. If there's got to be people in Salt Lake doing the forest bathing thing. You yeah. should try it. I will 100% look into I that. I think it'll rekindle your... I would love. I feel like it would rekindle that like personal connection. Not that you need it, yeah. but I feel like everybody needs a little bit of it, it's right? Just, I still like love nature. Like I went to Antelope Island, like I was saying, and I was in heaven. It was so oh, magical. There's, there's a hike yeah. there um, called Frary Peak. F-R-A-R-Y. It's a long hike. I almost fell off the side of the mountain because I did it in January one time. So don't do that. Um, It's a great hike, but you don't have to do the whole thing. There's the first section. It's called Dooley Knob, D-O-O-L-Y. And it's it's steep, but it's short. And you get up and have this amazing viewpoint. And you usually, like, you can usually see uh, bison up there too. It's pretty cool. But far away. There were little baby bison and stuff. I was dying. Have you guys yeah. been to the jetty? I've been to that. Yeah, I went okay. years ago with some friends. But the other thing I'm interacting with, but I'm like, oh, I know we need to wrap it up. But I'm like, on top of it all is, you know, I now I'm interacting with another human being, my husband. Oh, and boy. In this renaissance of wanting to be in the outdoors, 
And I'm kind of going, I don't know how I feel about this. And he is in this renaissance of wanting to be in a tent and feel very primal. And I'm like, can we get a trailer? <laughs> so but you can, like, you can separate like, that. He has friends. Well, I, I know. I'm just saying it's, it's, I'm working on it, but there's all, I'm just yeah. trying to figure it all out. I guess. Go to, go to Moab. There's no bears in Moab. There's nothing. I, I, I do a lot better with Southern Utah stuff. I, you know, earlier you said you have these weird anxieties and I was like, all anxieties are weird. I'm terrified of a bear getting me, which is such a non-thing. Bears non-thing. don't care about you. They care about food. They don't care about correct. you. Yes, correct. I learned that when we went to, um, what's that big, beautiful blue lake? Tahoe. Yeah. And there were bears in the camp because somebody left their cooler out and we could hear a woman screaming bear and like you could hear the bear running. And then I just <laughs> had this moment of realization, like the bears don't care about me. No, they, they really the don't. Cooler. They don't care about me. But like, I'm terrified of bears, but like rattlesnakes, meh. Yeah, uh-huh. I feel you like, we were in the Tetons. My, I took my son camping there by myself and we slept in our truck and we had a free campsite because there's this free secret campsite right outside of the park. Um, and we slept inside of our truck because I was afraid of bears. I brought the tent, but I was just, I, I was too afraid. Very validating. Yeah. And so I was like, I, cause I have a kid with me. Right. And so I wanted to be safe. Um, so we went for this hike and we were in, was it Phelps, Phelps Lake? Yeah, it was Phelps Lake. Uh, check it out if you're ever in the Tetons. It starts at a really unique part of the park. Um, but it was raining and he was six, seven at the time, six. And we had ponchos. We're doing our best. We started this hike. We're hiking to this, what's supposed to be this beautiful lake. And it's slippery and rainy and we get there and we're eating granola bars angrily while chipmunks start attacking us. And it's great, but there's like, you can't even see the view because there's clouds over it. It's beautiful, don't get me wrong, but it's this whole thing. And if you've ever hiked with a kid, you understand. And we get a little off trail. We're getting more and more frustrated. We're, we're, we're continuing on about, I don't know, probably a mile left. And Montgomery's being a jerk. And I turn around and I get my hands on my knees and I just, I'm at eye level. And I look, I'm like, bud, like it's a mile, mile and a half tops. Like, let's just be cool for a little bit longer. And his head does this. It goes, doop. And his eyes get big. And he goes, mommy, I think I see an animal. And I have my knife around my neck and I'm like, I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm here for this. I grab my knife and I turn and it's a fucking fox with a mouse in its mouth on top of a log staring into my soul. And I can't get my phone. I, I don't even know what to do. I'm just like locking eyes with this wild animal. And there it is. And it just bounded away. And it was the moment of like, cause I'm expecting bear. Cause we've been singing, yes. Hey bear, Hey bear. The whole time we're walking just in case. Yeah. And you know, we had seen bears the day before on the road. Mm. We were driving up a mountain and there were two bears having sex in the woods, which with a kid <laughs> is super fun because there's a line of traffic stopped staring at the bears and they flag us down. Cause we're going the opposite way at these bunch of like bros in this car. Like, yo, look at those bears. And we look and they're like, they're amazing. And my son's in the background going, what are those bears doing? And I'm going, well, they're mating. And my kid's like, oh, okay. And so we go on away. The car sat there watching these bears. That screw feels in like the intrusive. I felt intrusive. I was like, I'm going to give them their privacy. Thank you very much. Leave those bears alone. So we know. So at this point, like we know there are bears. 
Yeah. You know? And so like, oh, that was a very, like, that was a wake up call. Like, oh shit, that's right. There are bears here. But seeing that box was, it was a moment where you're like, okay, that could have been different. <laughs> but yeah. I have that moment with Montgomery of seeing that box. It's one of my favorite things. But I love you, that. like, once you get out there more and you do realize that there are these things that exist, but they are not the things you created them to be in your head. Yeah. Like they're there, but like, they don't give a shit about you. And that's why doing it and easy, like easing yourself into it, like being kind to yourself. You have a fear of bears. Bears have killed people before. It's not like this well, unfounded fear. Also, I grew up in with, we had several redwoods in our backyard and we were on the edge of a forest. And every night I was in the second story, I'd look out my window and bears would come through in our yard. Raccoons would be in the trees at eye level with me. Um, just all kinds of wildlife under my window at night while I fell asleep. So bears are very real to me and I've like yeah. interacted with them in the wild. And so that's why I'm just like, it's like earthquakes. Oh, we haven't talked about that yet. Oh, but you would think that because I have been in an earthquake that was seven plus that I would be more calm about them because I was fine. Nothing happened. I disagree. I disagree completely. But do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you think part that. Of thinks if you've experienced something and you were fine, you should feel okay about it, but it's like the opposite. So now Sometimes. I'm terrified of earthquakes. And because I've had so many experiences with bears, I'm terrified of bears. Are you guys, um, did you guys feel the recent earthquakes I saw you guys had? Dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the most recent one we were just like watching TV and again, I, I just shake a lot these days. Yeah. And sometimes his computer's on the couch and it shakes me. So I, I always have to go through what is, what is this shaking? Do I just need to breathe? But then it was like, you start seeing the shit shake and you're like, oh, that's and, the difference. But that time I just laid there. I was like, it's fine. Yeah. Well, it's so over it. There'd been so many earthquakes and like the next morning there was also one that you could feel and <sighs> I was dead and I was like, it's fine. I'll just stay in bed. So I get what you're saying. So I grew up in Southwest Georgia. So if you're imagining where it is, it's about three hours South of Atlanta, equidistant from Florida and uh, Alabama. So the real like rural yeah. part of Georgia. Um, it's also happened to be where we called the tornado alley of Georgia. I think I, that's so much scarier to me. than Oh, like, but I've lived through so many tornadoes. I've outrun them twice in my car. Um, I've hid so many times in my life in bathtubs and closets from them. So I've always wanted to move away. I grew up in a trailer, like full disclosure, in a mobile home. Yeah. And so we, our nearest neighbor was two miles away. And so my, we used to go to my grandparents' house, uh, which was just right next door, but my grandparents' house burnt down in 1997. And so after that, we had nowhere to go. We just were in our mobile home. So you would drive and like hope you'd get there. But yeah, I mean, I've lived through them. I am absolutely terrified of them to this day. Like I, it doesn't make me feel better to know that I've survived them in the past. That I, I might not survive the next. <laughs> it's, part of it too is that you see how close you are to yeah. death. Yeah, like, absolutely. What a diff, like how close you were to being caught in it. And mm -hmm. that's how I feel about the bears. Like I see how big they are. So I have an understanding of their power. Totally. Well, and you, I've you, been in an earthquake, so I have an understanding of its power. And I think I, that's part of it. It can give you, you know, I, I try to let it like, 
let me have a reverence for it instead yes. of fear, but it's hard. You know, living here, obviously not a lot of tornadoes in Idaho, so we're doing all right, but it, it comes back in other ways, like the earthquake, right? So what was it a week after you guys had your big yeah. earthquake? We had ours, which was even bigger than yours, oh my which God. they say is totally unrelated. You have but. like five in a row, like you'd have a big one and then you wait 30 seconds and then another one. No, ours was just one. It turned out to be two, but it was back to back and it lasted. I know it sounds like 30 seconds isn't a lot of time. That's a long time. 30 seconds. I, and I talked to like other people in our neighborhood and in the city who were all like, no, it was like 20 to 30 second span. So I had this weird moment of like, I'm, we have a, an upstairs, downstairs house and it's um, pretty flimsy. And so my son is very active. He break dances. And so he's constantly jumping. So I was downstairs down here and I, things started to shake. And it was about a second and a half that it took me for things to click into place. Yes. And I'm going, oh, Montgomery's jumping. Oh, no, he's not. Oh, I started the washing machine. Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, it must be storming outside. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, fuck, it's an earthquake. Yeah. And it was all of that just back to back. And I screamed for Montgomery to run downstairs. And he runs down the stairs. And I'm like, I just had this weird smile on my face, though, because it was this, like, total, like, unexpected. I'm like, we're having an earthquake. And Montgomery's cried, and I start shaking. My chimes that I have on the wall are shaking. The walls are going nuts. And we don't know what to do. The whole idea of, like, I'm like, I guess we're supposed to go get in a door jam. But Rob was on his way home. Yeah. So I call Rob while it's still going. Like, this is going on. And I'm going, Rob, you got to get home. There's an earthquake. And he goes, oh, shit. That's what it is. He had been driving. Yeah. something was wrong with the engine. Oh my God. And so he's like, oh shit. So next thing I know, Montgomery and I run outside because it's still quarantine, right? Yeah. And so, so all of the neighbors start running outside, but we all hit the sidewalk and stop because we're like, oh, that's right. We can't talk to each other. <laughs> so we're like yelling across, are you okay? And, you know, I remembered that I'd always heard that you were supposed to get in a door jam. And so a lot of my neighbors are from California, which if you're from Boise, Idaho, you know, that's like the controversial thing right now is the Californians, blah, 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 whatever. I love my neighbors. They're great people. And they were like, we're from California. This is what you do. Get in the door jam. And then I talked to Rob that night and I was like, you go outside. That's I I think you guys are all wrong. And sure enough, I looked up like what the government says. Not that that's the right thing to do, but they're like, no, the thing to do is you stop, drop and cover. So you get under, you cover yourself wherever you are. Don't go outside. The door jam is dangerous because the door can hit you. Like get under a desk, get into an interior hallway. And so now I know, but my, my son did not handle it well. He was terrified. He couldn't take a shower that night. Like I was so afraid to have a shower or go to the bathroom. Yeah. I had a Xanax that night. I'm not embarrassed to say I was, I was pretty anxious. I have, um, I had a lot of adrenaline and my adrenaline, it's like a, it's like a hair trigger. It doesn't take much at all for my adrenaline. And when it releases, it typically goes into my shoulders really bad. And it leaves my shoulders just ache. And that whole night I was just like, oh, and the whole, like the next day I was just like, oh, we had, a, we had an earthquake and it. Cause we had the rolling thing. Like it yeah. was rolling. And I remember my dad had uh, been in Japan when I was a kid, he was in the military station there. And he had always said that like an earthquake was one of the scariest things he'd ever felt because it's the one thing you've counted on your whole life being stable and it's not stable. Mm-hmm. And you just, if you've never been in one, you can't explain, I can't explain to you what it feels like. I really can't because it, no. it won't, it won't explain it. Right. 
It made me feel seasick. Like it reminded yeah. me of being on a boat, but you're like, but I'm not on water. What the crap? Man, I tell you, and I get, I get so motion sick still. And like my whole thing with seasick is. We have that in common. We get vertigo, right? Yeah. And I've been like months of vertigo, like walking around and I was like, I can't walk. I had a 30 day hardcore vertigo spell last summer and, um, it stemmed from antidepressants. They tried to put me on. Oh, it was horrible. When I went, I went to New York city like a year or two ago. I don't remember. We went, we've been a few times. It was like two years ago. Cause we went this fall too. I remember when you guys went, I remember seeing your pictures. Well, yeah, but we went on like a long, long boat tour. Oh no. And then that night we went to the Empire State Building, which I can <gasps> feel height. I'm terrified mm-hmm. height, so I can feel it. So I went on this like three hour boat tour and oh, then the God. Empire State Building. And then that like next day we flew home. And so by the time I got back home, I was just like, I can't walk. <laughs> all of that, all of that motion does a number on you. Oh. I, we, let's see, let's, Montgomery's birthday is in August and every year we take him. We don't do presents. We don't do parties. We do a trip. So it's yeah. either sometimes it's Love camping. It. We've done bigger trips in the past when we could afford it. Um, so the see, it wasn't this past August. It was August beforehand. We went to Oregon to the coast. It was our first trip to the Oregon coast. Love We'd it. been the year before to the Olympic National Park, which was incredible. And so I found this whale watching boat in Depot Bay, Oregon. <laughs> Highly recommend these people, amazing people. She was a uh, marine biologist who helped. Jacques Cousteau's son discovered this herd of whales that don't migrate up to a No big deal. (laughs) Right. And for me, he was like, I was a marine biologist junkie as a kid. I was so stoked. And so we got tickets. So it was like 125 bucks for the three of us for an hour and a half boat tour with the woman herself and other people. It wasn't private. So it's his eighth birthday, sorry, seventh birthday. And we're like, just so freaking excited. No, it was his eighth birthday. Sorry, I'm getting it all confused. It was his eighth birthday. We're like, yeah, we're, I'm going to kill it. I haven't told him. And I don't keep surprises well. So I'm like, we get there. We're like, we're going whale watching. Woo! So exciting. We get on the boat. We're taking pictures. Like, ah. Five minutes later, I had to ask for the barf bucket. Oh, goodness. And if you've ever been on a boat when somebody has to ask for the barf bucket, it's a chain reaction. Oh. So like, if one person barks, it's guaranteed that I grew up on boats. This is the way it goes. I never used to get seasick. I do now. So I asked for the barf bucket and I had tried, like I had tried so hard and it was game over. So I start throwing up and I got my head like this against the thing and I've got bandanas. I'm trying to put cold water on. And all I want is just to see some whales. And there are whales. Like we saw five whales so close. It was, you could see the lice on their backs. You were so close. It was amazing. So I lean over and I look at Rob and I'm like, are you, are you okay? And he, he gives me this like weak thumbs up and I pass the bucket off to the next woman. And I mean, cause these waves are just rolling in. We're in oh. the back by the exhaust. My kid is happy. There's whales, whatever. It's worth it. Right. The next thing I know, I look back up at Rob and I hear Rob go, <laughs> and I go, Oh no. And sure enough, Rob asks for the bucket. And my husband bless his heart. He's never had a quiet bodily function in his life. <laughs> okay. Like it's like it broadcast on a microphone and sure enough, he's just like <clears throat> into the bucket and it's so loud. And my son stands up and just starts scream crying because he's in the middle of the fucking Pacific ocean on a boat with people he doesn't know surrounded by the biggest animals in the world. And both of his parents are sick. 
we had to rely on the captain, the marine biologist herself, to come back and get my son and take him up front with her. We had it. We were like, I hope these are nice people. Like, I hope they take care of him. And that was my son's eighth birthday. That's amazing, though. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I got off the boat and was fine because I'm used to vertigo. I'm used to seasickness. Yeah. Like, I know I get some ginger ale. Like, I know what to do. My husband doesn't, like, he does not experience that. He was out the rest of the day. My son's whole birthday was spent with me on the beach for the rest of the day because Rob was so sick all day long. And that's when, now this is some real marriage shit right here. Rob and I have been married a long time. We've been together 11 years. I think this was our ninth anniversary this year. Uh-huh. Wedding anniversary. And so I. Oh, wait, I lost you for a minute. You said you were there? together for nine years and then I lost you. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So yeah, so we were together. We've been married nine years. And this is like one of those marriage things. So you're driving, I'm driving him home and he is sick. And we happen to have one of those medical sick bags because yeah. we get car sick. So I hand it to him and he is just standing, like sitting in the seat next to me and I'm hitting every red light and he's just barfing oh. right next to me into this bag. And I'm sorry, listeners, but I have to just tell you, like, that's one of those moments in your marriage where you're just like, I love you, but you're a disgusting creature. Yep. Like you're holding a sack of your own hot barf yep. a foot from my face and I can't do anything. Except That's drive. like when you live together or you're married and the first time one of you has a stomach flu and, you, <gasps> and like, we only have one bathroom in our house Oh no! right next to our bedroom. And we don't have like normal insulation because this house was built in like 1920. So it's like slats with plaster. There's no soundproofing. So it's like the first time it was probably me. I had the stomach flu and it's just like hot diarrhea and barfing. And he's just in the bed. And I'm like, I know he can hear everything. It's trust and vulnerability. Yeah, it really is. It's a real moment. And, you know, I was, I got knocked up real early when Rob and I met. And so it wasn't too long into our relationship when he was like watching a baby tray to come out of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And once like, and I had to have a C-section. And so I had an emergency C-section. So not only has he seen the baby crown that way, the baby's now stuck and not coming out. So now they suit him up and they take me downstairs and they're going to cut me open. He has broken his neck in three places and we don't know it. He's on every drug in the book. Yeah. I'm whacked out with my arms strapped down like this, like <laughs> whacked out with two epidurals shaking. And he walks in and I'm like, I should get ice cream. <laughs> He's fucked up on all these drugs that he comes over and looks at me and they have the curtain up in front of me. So I can't see uh-huh. what's going on, but he can look over the curtain. Yes. He's looking into my face. It's like, I'm like, hey, hi, everything's good. And then he looks over and it's literal smoke and guts and the baby's coming out, right? Like, I guess my point with this is that is like, there is no diarrhea. There is no fart. There is nothing else. Once somebody has seen inside of your organs, really, yeah. like here I am, you see me, this is me. And, you know, we have a rule in our house where we don't like, we don't fart in front of each other in general, unless it's an accident. And I stand by that. I was never raised in a farty household. Like farts weren't a thing. We didn't talk My about who's very farty. I'm envious of that because it really, I grew up being like very, like very prim and proper about stuff. But Rob, Rob has IBS. That's no mystery. And 
we have two bathrooms and I don't know that we can ever have a house without two toilets because of that. Like somebody's going to shit in the backyard. Do you know what I mean? Like whenever I talk about my first, my dream house, cause I love our house we live in now, but I'm like, we have to have two bathrooms and we have to have an extra bedroom for nights when I eat chili. Yes, exactly. So we have a rule that like it's, we have a bathtub that's upstairs. And so we're, we don't laugh at farts that happen in bathrooms that we hear. Like, but here's the thing. When a fart happens in the bathtub, fair game. If someone's in the upstairs bathtub and they fart in the bathtub, you're allowed to laugh at it because it's fucking hilarious. I just, every time I go pee, I fart because my body. (laughs) That's what you do. And and it's like quite loud in the bathroom. And then Dennis would be like, Laura. And I'm like, I'm in the bathroom. This is a great space. So. That's it. Yeah. Rob's always, he's makes the joke. If we ever build our own house, we're going to get a fucking jet engine in our bathroom just to cover up all sounds. I'm like, I'm, I'm watching property brothers, which I need to stop because it's stupid. (laughs) And then it like makes me go, Oh, my house isn't good enough. Even though my house is amazing. Like, you know, like, Oh, I want to keep up with the Joneses. I want this. I want that. So I'm going to stop watching it probably maybe, but I just, that's one thing I think about my dream house. I'm like, I want that insulation for the soundproofing. (sighs) We're going to have our house sound so soundproof because like between, yeah, between sex and farts and everything else, like, I don't know. It's hard having a kid and like keeping things quiet. And I'm just like, we're going to get the phone. Like it's going to be real deal. But I mean, let's face it. Like the economy is about to collapse and who knows what yeah. we'll be living in here. Pretty soon. I don't know. Maybe I'll grab me a house for $2.99. I know. I'm like, Dennis, I think we'll be fine. Knock on wood. Hopefully yeah. we'll be one of those terrible people who benefits from it all. But there's so much I want to talk to you about. And I keep looking at the list. Like, yeah, we have oh, to go. That and that and that. But I'm like, I need to eat dinner. I need to go outside and have, like cook. house today. So I need to go do that. Well, good for you. Well, yeah, I'm, course, I'm really proud of you as a friend and as a human. And I'm proud of the therapy you've done. It's a lot of hard work. And I don't think because we see it as a struggle, sometimes we don't give ourselves credit for the work we've done because we're, it's never done. Mm-hmm. But like, it's been really cool to watch you grow into your weirdness and your beauty and accept all those parts about yourself. And I find that really inspirational. That means a lot. Like I'm getting emotional. I'm here, here, but I'm like, "Ah." but also it reminds me that I want to talk about your podcast for the last thing. Oh, you're going to start because you just said weirdness. And this whole discussion has made me like, I love talking to you. I feel like we could do an eight hour podcast. I'm like, you need to come back on because stories and things that are coming to my mind. And I just, it's so easy to talk to you. Yeah. Well, I haven't, I've got to have me on your podcast. Oh, that's the plan. You were actually the first person I put on the list on my, my brainstorming list. Cause you like, I like people who are open about their weirdness. Well, earlier when you were talking about your curly hair and being all like, I'm weird. I was like me too. That was always when I was younger. I was like, I'm the weird one. And my favorite people are the people who've had to go through that kind of acceptance, that like radical acceptance about themselves, because you don't just go through it once you go through it. You have that wound ripped off repeatedly. And and it's weird thing. Other people tell you weird. So you take ownership of it and then they give you shit for saying you're weird. And you're just like, what do you want from me? You know, so. I, a few weeks ago before all the, the quarantine started, um, I had a friend, I was supposed to go to brunch with her and the day beforehand, she goes, Hey, change of plans. Do you want to take uh, a bus with a bunch of hippies up to the hot springs? And well, the answer is always yes yeah. to that question. So I did. And we, this guy he actually lives in my neighborhood. We've seen the bus forever. I finally got to ride on it. 
we had a live DJ and we, we go up and all of these folks are tripping on mushrooms and I am not, um, but that's not my bag. No judgment. Totally cool with it. Just not my bag, especially like on a Sunday in the mountains. I have a story um, about going to a yurt with a bunch of hippies who were all tripping on mushrooms, but I wasn't. So I feel you. Yeah. Go on. Well, this woman, this woman was there and she definitely, she wasn't on mushrooms either, but she was like, so we, we kind of talked and you could tell she was out of her comfort zone, but having a good time. I didn't know anyone except the one person I came with. So I was just like, whatever. And I've been out of practice socially since losing my job. So I'm talking to her and she goes, you know, I'm, I'm starting to realize that like, I'm okay with different, she said, but I'm not okay with weird. What does that mean? I don't know. I feel really confused, but it, it occurred to me in that moment of just how loaded the word weird is and how it's such a, it really is a subjective word with yes. so many connotations and layers of our own bullshit on it. And it really like, I miss that sixth grade version of me that wore candy necklaces and overalls and rainbow tights and was like, I'm fucking weird. Deal with it. And why did I stop doing that? You know, like, yeah, I want to, I want to recall more of that, but I also, I'm very interested in the, the self-identifying weirdness. I would love to on your podcast, just like the episode be like the journey of weird because yeah. it's like the same way that I could tell you the story of my curly hair and that might come into play in that story of weird. But like there's, there's stories, there's events that happen throughout our lives that lead us to be the way that we are. And weirdness is a definite topic that lends yeah. itself to like well, that discussion. It's yeah. different for everybody because that word weird, if, if you're called weird at the wrong moment, that can make you give up. But if yes. you're called weird at the right moment, that can make you work harder. At I see it. that so, in education so much with students. Yeah. That's why I've worked so hard with my son to embrace it. I'm like, yeah, you're weird. It's fucking beautiful how weird you are. Embrace it. Be the weirdest weird you could possibly be. hundred percent. Love well, it. I guess that's a good note to end it on. Yeah. We should. <laughs> I'm like, I, I just keep thinking if we don't, we never will. And I'm like, no, I want to eat and I want to be out in the sunshine before it goes down. So yes. Okay. Well, I love you very much. Thank you very much. This is super fun. Tell Dennis I say, hey, I will. And thank you so much for being on. It's been wonderful. Yay. I can't Bye. wait to hear it. Bye. Okay. I, I don't, I have to figure out, oh, this button. Here we are. Yep. That was so awesome. I'm so glad that Laura was able to join me on the show. Um, I want to remind everyone that you can find this podcast on Spotify and Radio Public Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcast, Breaker, I don't know, all these places. And if you just go to anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M forward slash backslash, whatever that thing's called, Laura, L-A-U-R-A dash m-c-m-a-h-o-n for the number four then you can find my podcast and it takes you to all those other places i just mentioned and you can also message me with either written or video or i mean audio messages if you want to ask questions or share your poop your pants pee your pants stories thanks for listening